Are you sitting there right now using a PC with an overpriced operating system while you eat unhealthy ramen? Well, I apparently have all of the solutions to your life. Go to Vite Ramen right now and get their healthy protein-filled ramen for 10% off with offer code BROKENSILICON. And then go to cdkeyoffer.com to get 25% off all Windows keys and use DieShrink to get 3% off everything else on the website. And we'll talk about these sponsors more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by somebody. Um, you know, I, one thing I want to do this year with this channel a lot better is I feel like in 2019 through 2020, I had like a new guest on every other week, if not honestly, at first it had to have been most weeks was a new podcast. Um, and then at some point in 2022 through 2020, Three, although those were very good years for the channel, I feel like I kind of got into a cadence of like having a Rolodex of the usual 30 people and just bringing them in over and over. And I think over time I realized it really is, even if it takes more work and I just have to send out those emails and hope they respond, it really does, I think, help the channel to bring in just any different voice. And I've seen this person pop up. Um, just randomly kind of in the wrap-up section of the Broken Silicon podcast, we're like, oh, this person did an interesting driver test or something. And I've seen people share his content occasionally on the Morse Lost at Discord. So, you know, I want to introduce you, Fabio. Please tell people who you are, what you do, uh, what made you start a YouTube channel, and what is with your channel's name? <laughs> Hello, guys. Uh, I'm Fabio Pisco from the YouTube channel Ancient Gameplays. What I do basically on my, on my channel is anything related hardware. Firstly, that was the point, uh, making more things hardware side because I'm usually more kind of the, the testing guy. I don't really like to, to do much, much things about news or, or something like that, or actually investigation. I'm not really that great at, in, at investigating things. It's mostly the, the hardware side of things, but um, people actually went and started, okay, um, I had problems with this driver. I have basically was in that area where AMD started having problems because they transitioned to the new AMD Radeon software, which was in early 2020, I believe, or in the end of 20. I did an emergency podcast on that as well. There were a lot of issues in that transition. Exactly. And that was basically when the 5700 XT was released more or less. And then they, they had the problems of the 5700 XT and then, uh, they actually changed the Radeon overlay, the Radeon software, everything. Mm -hmm. And it was a mess, uh, at that time. And that's basically when people actually asked me to make the, the software videos, let's say that. And that's when I started to, to go a bit into it. That's basically it. As for my channel name, well, <laughs> that's an interesting one because you know, when you actually start the project and you don't know, uh, which name should you get, mm -hmm. which one should I get? Basically that's it because I started the channel, not as a thing of, okay, let's do a business out of this or let's do something out of this. Actually, I'll ju I just started. As you, as you see, obviously, uh, English is not my main language. Uh, I'm Portuguese. 
So uh, my brother was little by the time, because I started this like seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and he was little and he just came to me, why don't you make a YouTube channel? Why not? I mean, uh, you, know, you know stuff about tech. Why not do a YouTube channel? And, and I was like, okay, <laughs> don't be dumb. Why should I make a, mm -hmm. a YouTube channel? But then I just started. I made one video, then another, then another, then another. And well, here we are, basically. As for the naming, I had to pick one. <laughs> and, when I, and when I actually told people, told people that, uh, uh, okay, should I change the name of the channel? I actually did a poll. I believe that's how it's pronounced, the poll. Mm -hmm. um, um, and people, people actually told me, the, my followers told me, no, keep the name. It's different. Uh, we know you from that name, so it would be odd if you changed the name of the channel and so on. That's basically how things went. And that's why I never changed the name, or at least so far I didn't. That's yeah. That's it. The, uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of YouTube channels out there. And I think, I think if anything, it seems to be happening more and more often this way that like, just not for any particular reason, but this name comes to mind. Like someone like named Daniel Owen, his YouTube channels, literally just his name like it. And like, yeah, yeah, over time, I think we found that like, you know, the algorithm and people being interested is what's doing most of the work and whatever the name is that people remember whatever that's probably probably good enough and i mean yeah i mean i follow someone on youtube called payroon and he does like analysis of like defense economics and it, his name i i forgot he actually explained it it was like named it's like some name he had when he used to play video games i believe or something like that if someone's a fan of his and i'm wrong you know forgive me but it's like what it's just a, a weird name for someone who analyzes military <laughs> spending, but whatever, that's the name people recognize. And I think over time we're realizing it's really just whatever the word or sound is stick with it, just make good content. And it actually isn't as important as you would think. Um, compressed earth blocks writes in and he says, Hey guys, I just wanted to know what is your favorite type of content or video to make? Hmm. Well, on my side, like I told you before, I don't really like to do many things about news unless I actually know a lot about the topic. Uh, otherwise, I, I still prefer to do things like GPU comparisons, CPU comparisons. Now my brother is actually doing the CPU benchmarks that I'll start doing again on the channel, bringing to the channel. Um, something like, for example, RAM comparisons. I do like to, to make RAM comparisons, like in terms of capacity, frequency, timings, mm -hmm. everything like that, everything more hardware related to the gaming side. Now I'm expanding a bit to the, um, to the professional side in the next benchmarks on the next retests. Like I call them basically when I retest all my GPUs with a new CPU, maybe the 7800X 3D or a new Ryzen 8000 series when the CPUs come out. Um, almost likely, yeah, almost likely do a, a retest of everything. Um, and then, and then, yeah, basically that's, that's what I like to do. Do next. you like actually benchmarking the hardware against each other? I can, I've seen on your channel, um, yours is a channel where you'll show like, I don't know, 30, 60, 40, 60, you know, 7,600. And then you'll show the actual frame times in the corner as the games are being played next to each other. I have a question though. There's a lot of fake channels that do that because, and that's something I've talked to hardware unboxed about um, that. And I've especially noticed there's this trend now of like 
a week before a graphics card is supposed to come out, like soon the 4080 Super will launch. <laughs> I am sure there will be some YouTube channels with like almost no subscribers that appear out of nowhere and just show <laughs> 4080 Super, 4080, 7900 XTX. And there's no way they could actually have that data. But then they just kind of guess and show different frame rates in the <clears> corner. <throat> and you'll see tons of people in the comments going, wow, I don't know how this guy got this. And one time, I remember this was years ago, and I first sent this to Steve at Hardware Unboxed, and I'm like, there's no way this is real, right? And he goes, no, we know that one specifically is fake, because we've actually like reverse engineered the video, and they're like literally playing the same frame rates in every corner, like even if you extrapolate it. And I just wonder how you feel about like the channels that are faking it. Because there's a lot of them, and they pop up in my feed every now and then right before Sadly, uh, I know some of them, actually. Uh, what I believe they do is, or they kind of emulate the results, or they just test another card. They just test another card really close to what the, the, the other card should be, and just change the names, and that's it. I believe mm -hmm. that that's, most, that's what most of them actually do. But uh, as for my feelings on that, it's basically mocking us. I feel like kind of a mockery. Because I'm, I'm spending hours and hours mm -hmm. and hours to bring relevant tests to the, to the market for people to, um, for people to actually see the, the true benchmarks. And most people can actually go, can actually test the same part I did with the same settings and the results will be very, very similar. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's it. And those channels are kind of mocking us because they are making some money out of it. And they, they don't really have all that work. They just go there fake some data and go on. Mm -hmm. See, uh, and, and I don't know what I expected you to say. It sounds like you don't have that much to say, except I don't know. They're very annoying, right? Uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying, uh, as saying that they're annoying because they don't actually annoy me on my everyday life, of mm -hmm. course. But it is just, I feel like I'm being mocked. It's more or less when you're putting a lot of effort in one thing and one guy just comes there, uh, does absolutely nothing, and everyone is cheering them. Like, whoa, very, very nice benchmarks. Thank you for bringing this. What do you think makes people trust you, though, over or anyone over somebody else? Do you think it's the fact that you've done it enough? Do you think it's the fact that you talk during the video, and so it's unlikely you're lying? Like, I, I do think half the time, like when I'm like, for from my perspective, like doing a leak on some information, like... I'll have a screenshot of a document, right, of like Zen 5 architecture or something. Exactly. And then I'll also have this slide that says, also from what I hear, this, this, and this. And from my perspective, I'm like, well, okay, well, I clearly really have a document of Zen 5 architecture. If I have that, why would I lie about this? Like, why would, why would I be lying about this if I put in all this effort to show that? And I think that's what makes a lot of people trust me. But I'm curious, like... Is it just over time they trust you? Or why do you think they eventually would trust a channel like you or another channel that is doing real benchmarking? I believe that it's, uh, it's a mix of both. The fact that you're actually talking and explaining your results, of course, because you're explaining what you actually got and you can actually give um, different data, basically telling people that, okay, uh, in this part, this happened because of this. And mm -hmm. in this part, this happened because of that. Uh, and at the same time, of course, if you do, if you're doing it over time, and like I told you before, if people can actually test what I do and they get very similar results, they can actually know, of course, that the benchmarks are real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny. Whenever I uh, just bring up that other channel again, Hardware Unbox, whenever I do like an average of like 12 or 10 games, I'm usually within like 2% or 1% of some of the bigger outlets. And I go, I don't do it often, but I'll go, oh, yeah. So clearly their results uh, add up. Um, but all right, I actually want to switch the conversation to something here because you brought up that it sounds like your channel really started to grow a lot for the first time when you were benchmarking or I'm sorry, giving guides on how to get around a lot of the driver issues after the 5700 XT launched. I'm wondering, like, how do you feel about how people took those Radeon driver issues back then? And how do you feel about where AMD is with their drivers now? Because I guess I'll just give my opinion first. When I, I'd say, I don't know, a decade to two decades ago, People seem to regard NVIDIA drivers as better, although <laughs> during the Fermi and Windows Vista era, I feel like NVIDIA's drivers were a complete mess. And I actually switched to Radeon for years because I, my art uh, was a GTX 560 Ti had just horrible driver issues. And the second I switched to a 6950, uh, all issues went away. And that went on for years. And generally speaking, though, eventually I just thought they were about the same. Like, it didn't really matter whose drivers. Like, the, but then I will say, the fifty seven hundred XT post launch, there were some horrible drivers there, and I feel like just like that, people were ready to say Radeon drivers suck again. I feel like they've gotten better since then again as well. But I, I'm just wondering how you think both your opinion and how you think people perceive Radeon drivers right now versus back then. Uh, let me just touch before the. Um the example that you gave before about the, um, the NVIDIA drivers that you had issues in the past. Well, I can tell you right away that even like three weeks ago, I have issues with NVIDIA drivers. Issues mm -hmm. that I don't have with the AMD ones. For example, with uh, Shadowplay, recording the, the gameplay. Since I record all my gameplays uh, with the inbuilt software, mm -hmm. uh, I just found it to be more practical. Just go there, record it, and it's done. Me too. Um, and in this specific scenario, Shadowplay has been giving me issues uh, with recording in terms of desktop, black screens, like for one, two seconds before starting recording, and several other things, like it happened with the 4070 Ti in the most recent drivers, something that did not happen before. It happened with the 4070, once again, uh, the one that I bought some, like, one or two weeks ago. Uh, it happened the same way in the, in the recent drivers. It didn't happen before as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the AMD drivers, I don't have these issues. It just, you just record and it's done. And you can actually choose the codec, something that you can't do with Shadowplay. It's just, mm -hmm. just there. You don't even know what codec you're using unless you go to the details of the video, which is AVC most times, H264, which is horrifying. But anyway, as for the driver issues, um, well, I, I believe that at the time, the drivers themselves were not the issue. The mm -hmm. Radeon software was. Because they, complete, they made a complete overhaul of the, um, of the Radeon software, and that was the issue. If you installed the drivers alone, they would be fine. But as soon as you installed the Radeon software, um, the problems appeared. And most times they appeared. Uh, and I know that lots of people actually, actually get mad when I say this. Uh, but it's the truth. It's the truth because I... I actually, I actually have thousands, and I'm not even, I'm not even lying. Thousands, literally, of people that I helped, um, mm -hmm. and the the main issue is the user, always. The user 
is 99% of times the main issue. They lack uh, chipset drivers, for example. Mm. They lack a clean driver Those installation. Those conflict a lot, like a bad chipset install. Yeah. I've had that before. Exactly. Drivers. Exactly, because they, they mess with um, with a GPU input-output, for example, the PCI uh, transfers and everything, and that can actually mess with the overall stability of the system and mm. will mess with the drivers. Even if you have one thing that happens a lot is that people, for example, people that have older NVIDIA GPUs, for example, by the time they were, they were using, for example, GTX 1060. Mm-hmm. That was a popular, literally big popular GPU by the time. And then they upgraded to the 5700 XT. Now, what happened is that by the time they had the CPU and RAM instability, but since the GPU oh. was so slow, it wasn't pushing the CPU and RAM enough to show the instability. By the way, I just want to jump in. That is a common, 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 common issue for me <laughs> is when I went from Radeon 7 to 3070, Immediately, I found out, oh, my CPU overclock wasn't as stable as I thought it was. Then I go from that to like a 4090 or and then I or go to a faster CPU, but have the same RAM. I'll find, oh, now the CPU is pushing the RAM harder. The graphics card is pushing the RAM and the CPU harder. In fact, almost every time I have a friend upgrade to a much stronger graphics card, I remind them, double, double, double check that your CPU and RAM is stable because maybe it was a year ago probably lost some instability they degrade over time and you're about to push that thing twice as hard as it used to be pushed and also you'll probably be dumping more heat in the case as well now that everything's being pushed harder exactly and and that's what i always say to people actually if people come to my channel and say well i have to use the the driver from four or five months ago or maybe a year ago because otherwise i have crashes i Mm. immediately tell them go check your cpu and ram stability and they say, well, but with these drivers, it works. Say, yes, yes, it works because there are the, maybe those drivers don't have certain driver optimizations that will make the GPU perform harder and push the CPU and RAM harder as well. And, and I don't remember which one it was. It's, it's probably happened multiple times. But, you know, I remember, I don't know if it was Pascal or Kepler. I know those are, there's already a missing generation between those. But I do remember a while ago, a new drive a new driver came out for yeah, yeah. I want it was probably Pascal or Turing actually and I remember in video was like this is boost performance by 10% on average and everyone said oh my overclock's not stable anymore like and it's like yeah because they further refined and optimized the driver and actually, it's better leveraging the cores that's what's going on exactly actually I I think that one thing like that happened to the to the NPR architecture, the the RTX three thousand. Yes, it, it up power usage a lot when like, they optimized like, it, and it was like a ten to fifteen percent increase in performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, so that was nice. Was around the hardware accelerated GPU scheduling mm-hmm. era. No, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Although I gotta say, I, I, it's probably happened multiple times, but I do, yeah, it's probably Ampere because it's fresh in my mind. And I just remember, and of course, this wasn't every game, but there were some games where power usage just went way exactly. up right after they updated it. And even on the AMD side, you can see that there are mm-hmm. some games that can take advantage, that they just simply can't take advantage of the, of the RDNA 3 architecture, I mean, the RDNA 2 architecture, let alone the RDNA 3 with a dual issue, uh, CMDs and, and all that, and the, LA, the LAUs and so on. 
you have some games that can actually take advantage of the, um, the full ratio of compute units, uh, clocks, bandwidth, and so on. And then you get the power draw to the max. There are, there are some games like, for example, Assassin's Creed Mirage and some others, Forza Horizon 5, for example, that unless you're playing at really high resolutions like 4K, you won't see your GPU pushing the maximum that they, that they can. Mm-hmm. It just won't happen. Yeah, it's... It's um it, it's funny too because I remember when I used to be in college um I had a 7970 and I overclocked that thing so much and had so much fun trying to get it what to a like, monster. I mean I, I think I got mine to like cuz it like stock clocks was like 925 megahertz slash 1375 or something maybe even 1250 for the original version and I eventually got that to like 1200 megahertz slash 1800 on the memory which is for those keeping track it's like a 40% overclock to the memory and like a tw- over 20 percent to the core and that was a lot of fun i would spend hours trying to get that extra 10 megahertz on the core clock but i gotta say over time you know i put less and less effort into that i'm like if i can get it 10 percent higher and it's stable i'm happy but I, I i i more and more do this where it's like whatever i get to that stable I then up voltage slightly and drop clocks by like another three, five, like a whole hundred megahertz because it's just not worth the headache of your game crashing. And if even if it's stable in these 10 games, it might not be in one of them. And just remove that 10% so that it doesn't become unstable over time. Too. Exactly. And even and then, that, I usually still have to turn it down a year later a little bit. And that happens specially. Uh, on the new RDNA 3 architecture from AMD, especially because of the, um, of the power states. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why, but I, I know from experience that there are games where the power states work differently in terms of 3D applications, of course. Um, and while you are having, for example, um, let me just give you an example. Those games that we're talking before about Assassin's Creed Mirage and not reaching the maximum power limit, Mm-hmm. In those games, since you are not reaching the maximum power limit, what happens is that RDNA 3 will push the maximum clocks it can to kind of mitigate the issue. Well, you know about that, obviously. Um, and when it does that, the power, the power tables or the power states are different. So the base voltage is different and your offset will also be different because of the base voltage. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that in those games, it is not stable. And mm-hmm. I, I found it myself across several cards of the RDNA 3 architecture is I test really heavy games, my settings rock stable, rock solid. I test games where the, um, where the GPU can't be used properly and I have to raise the voltage because mm-hmm. the power state is different, so the base voltage is lower, so I have to raise the slider in order to make the, the overall or the final voltage higher. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of annoying uh, when you're trying to overclock because you have to put one value for that, for that uh, game, a value to another, or you just raise the value for every other game. But that... I well, mean, yeah, and I just do one because ultimately what I'll think is it really, if it's not stable in this one game, it's probably not really stable in that other game. Yes, you might game for a day and it won't crash, but if it does... In a week, that'll be really annoying. And I always just find these games that I'm like, this one causes crashes. This one <laughs> never does. Like, I think, what is it? Like, I find the Division 2 really likes to crash game uh, overclocks that aren't stable. Mo- Battlefield multiplayer does as well. And then Metro's, Metro Exodus is okay. You know, like, 
But like the division, it's real finicky if you don't have a stale overclock. Metro Exodus, the the enhanced edition is good. Uh, is good to test, for example, the core stability. But as soon as you go for the VRAM side or some other things, you can actually go to Assassin's Creed Mirage because, believe me, the the game engine that they use in Valhalla Origins and Mirage, it's really really heavy on that scenario and really really picky when it comes even sometimes to core voltage. Mm-hmm. You can test any other game. You go there, it crashes. It won't even launch. It's like the second the game kicks in, the desktop. Yeah. Done. <laughs> That's where I usually set my, um, my overclocks. Obviously, I, in my videos, I test with the overclocks that most people could get. Otherwise, the overclocking results would make no sense. Mm-hmm. For me, at least. Uh, well, uh, because eventually then it's almost like you're bragging. You're not actually testing something <laughs> exactly. that someone would actually use. Um, exactly. All right. Well, let me kind of pivot to this conversation. This is what I actually plan to have as one of our main discussions. So over the past year, my channel spent a lot of time discussing Mindshare and whether or not NVIDIA and AMD are making the right moves to strengthen their brand and their place in the market this generation. And, you know, at first, I feel like I was really critical of RDNA 3 simply because, I mean, from my perspective, AMD kind of lied about its performance. I mean, they just straight up, like, and, and I think this was in, con- I, this is a whole long thing that I'm skipping over because I've had this discussion a million times already this in the last year. But, like, they were clearly telling people behind the scenes one thing, you know, like, they were telling, oh, Phoenix will be this strong, this will be that strong, and everything ended up a little weaker than that. So I think something went wrong, and they still thought they would get to what they showed with their benchmarks, but they didn't, and so I was pretty mad about that. And I think a lot of people were very then primed to be critical of RDNA 3 over time. And what's interesting to me is I saw these polls on Hardware Unboxed YouTube channel. I thought about doing polling myself, but I figure... I don't know if I if I do polling, maybe people will be responding to other polls. And I see hardware and boxes like a larger channel with probably a you know I, I don't want there to be a chance that people voting on my YouTube channel are voting for what they would think I want to see or something. I don't want them to be voting with my my opinion influencing them on broken silicon. So I'll just use hardware and box as a proxy then without doing the polling myself. And what I saw was pretty interesting. It basically showed that. Generally speaking, people think Radeon's brand has the same importance and provenance that it had last generation. But if anything, there it's gotten slightly better. Like people regard Radeon maybe slightly better than they did a couple of years ago. And meanwhile, Nvidia's was way down. Like it, it was not even close, actually, that people were saying they regard Nvidia worse than they did a couple of years ago. And I'm just curious what you think about that. You know, like, does that surprise you at all? Do you disagree with it? Uh, And if you do or don't, like, why you think it would be like that? Well, as for the NVIDIA side, I believe that's easy to explain because, first of all, they pushed ray tracing um, like of a must-have. While it is obviously not a must-have, and it will be maybe a must-have in, like, 10 years, and I'm not even exaggerating because I can tell you certainly that in the seven, let's say in the next seven years to come, ray tracing will still not be in the 100% of games, or it will Mm -hmm. not be the main thing. Because once again, 
there will come more things. It's now ray tracing, then it will come path tracing because we always want the better thing, the newer mm -hmm. thing, the newest thing, I believe. Um, and when that happens, okay, you bring path tracing, but path tracing is, is heavier than ray tracing than the usual ray tracing. So you, you need to have GPUs that run it even better. So developers will start using raster as the backup when you don't, or you, or, or when you can't run it as, um, as you should with ray tracing. So five years guaranteed that it won't be in all games. Mm -hmm. As for, as for the other thing, well, they pushed ray tracing, of course, which is a good thing overall, but a bad thing the way they did it. Um, then we, we got the price hikes, which is yeah. the second, the second, um, reason in my opinion, the price hike. And of course, then it came with, uh, <laughs> with the feature set being cut from the previous generation, like frame generation and so on. Mm. And I believe that's, that's what made people actually hate on Nvidia, basically the price hiking and, uh, the, the, the feature cut, I believe mm -hmm. that's, that's basically it on the AMD side. Well, if we compare to, let's say 2020, 2021. I do believe that the Radeon brand is better, definitely, definitely mm -hmm. better than it was. Now, if we compare RDNA 2 versus RDNA 3, I believe that RDNA 2 was kind of a breakthrough to, to AMD. Then they basically just went from, okay, we, we, aren't evil, we aren't even able to match the 2070 in most games. Now we can match the 3090 or the 3090 Ti. Mm -hmm. It was kind of their big breakthrough. And I, and I thought to myself that RDNA 3 would be much better because um, if they had that kind of breakthrough with RDNA 2, basically changing everything, okay, less bus width, so we have le less bus width, but we have cache. Mm -hmm. And by that way, we can actually reduce the power draw since we have less of this, less of that, and so on, so on, so on. RDNA 3, when I saw it, it was going to be... Um, it was going to be like with GCDs and so on, uh, MCM, multi-chip module and so on. I thought, well, maybe they are going to do single or monolithic die to the lower end. Then they will bring the, the multi-chip module design for the 7900 series only and so on. In order, I mean, it could be good for them if they actually did that because uh, they would be working with something that they knew already. And then they had more time to improve the, um, the, the MCM architectures. But what I mean with this is that they tried something new too early, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that actually damaged a bit the, the brand because people were expecting one thing at the beginning because they actually told us it was going to be that thing. Yeah. And then um, we just got our, well, we just got shot in the leg, everyone. <laughs> and we get like, 20% less performance than they stated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what's interesting to me is that they still regard, people still see the brand as being better than before. And I guess, I guess if I were to try to explain it now that we're, now that I'm actually talking about it with somebody, I think maybe it, you know, I think a lot of times we forget that there's kind of like a lagging effect. Like for someone, for, for the world to regard something as something, that has to have happened for multiple years in a row. And I would suspect that what happened with RDNA 2 is AMD made a very, very good impression. 
And then years later, people now have a good impression. Like it's not overnight that everyone watches the news, comes to this conclusion. And so despite RDNA 3 maybe falling short of at a minimum what they clearly were aiming to do, um, at the end of the day, people now know what Radeon is better because they've had a couple of years where they're actually in the high end. Maybe they're not as good as the 4090, but the 5700 XT wasn't even close to the 2080, uh, well, to the Titan RTX, let alone 2080 Ti. Um, and now at least they've been close to the high end for a while and people remember RDNA 2 was good. Um, and, you know, actually, though, I, I did talk about this with my brother, Dan, who's usually on the news episodes of Broken Silicon. Uh, a couple nights ago and he saw that polling and we kind of came to the conclusion that you know the most you can damn amd for this generation in graphics is they were clumsy like the naming and the pricing of the 7900 xt they didn't quite hit the performance goals they wanted but at the end of the day they launched cards that were priced to performance competitive and they made enough of them and with RDNA 2, it was really hard to get an RDNA 2 graphics card. And NVIDIA sold more than them just because they made more cards. Yeah, at the beginning, especially. And I would suspect that what's going on here is, as much as AMD didn't live up to the hype this generation, at least they made enough graphics cards and they were reasonably priced. And that kind of just trumps bragging rights. And that's what people actually want, is to be able to buy a card with, for example, 24 gigabytes, for less than a thousand, let alone less than two thousand dollars, and if they could do that, they're happy. And even if the name's silly, it was a clumsy launch. They look at AMD probably launching these cards for a reasonable price with a lot of VRAM, and then they look at Nvidia selling twelve gigabyte cards for eight hundred dollars, and they go, "Maybe Nvidia is more impressive, but they're just pissing me off." You know, <laughs> I, I, I think exactly. that might be what it is. Got any 2024 New Year's resolutions? Well, my girlfriend's cat does, trying to jump around in as much loose wrapping paper as he can. And my dog, Jesse, well, her New Year's resolution is to watch him do that as much as possible for some reason. But for many of us humans, New Year's resolutions usually involve trying to learn a new skill or improve our health while staying happy. And, well, Vite Ramen can help you do that last one. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, or also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, or their new Nano Boost Vitality Powder that I honestly think tastes fantastic and is a great way to get a tasty burst of energy later in the day without cranking yourself up on that third or fourth or fifth, really, cup of coffee that you know you shouldn't be drinking if you want to go to bed at a reasonable time. Seriously, their Vitality Powder, it actually does taste very, very good. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And for all of their products, whether it's kitchenware, uh, powders, or their ramen, of course, click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on all of their fantastic products. They really are a great rapidly growing american startup that's been very good to the moore's laws dead team over the past few years and well due to us actually liking their products and liking them they've been good to us so supporting them supports me and even just clicking on the link in the description makes a big difference as well but i really do like their products and recommend them so check out vite ramen today but i but i think that the problem with um 
let's say, with the branding of AMD Radeon is not actually the, the fact that they, that they didn't have cards or they have cards to sell. It's more like the fact that they, they, are, go they are going to, to a presentation and they tell you like, okay, this is going to be like this. Mm -hmm. And then you end up, you are just a, a casual user. You go, you put the part on your computer and it's nothing like that. And that's, that's one of the main issues that I, that I find with this kind of marketing. And I actually get annoyed. Now, I, I really get annoyed with this. I don't mm -hmm. know who's making those. And I can say that. I don't care about them, actually. <laughs> But I, I, can, I can say that those are dumb decisions. I don't know who's making the marketing of that. But those are dumb decisions, especially with the naming schemes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense. If you are calling a card XT, it is not the same as the non-XT. Mm -hmm. That's why people actually, and I, I don't really understand the, um, the general consumer or consumer, uh, but, I, but I don't really understand why they do this. For example, when NVIDIA was trying to release the, the 4080 or <laughs> the 4070 Ti as the 4080 12 gigabytes, yeah. people just jumped on them What the hell is going on? This makes no sense. And they actually kind of unlaunched the, the GPU. Now AMD is doing the same because they're telling you, no, no, this is the XT. This is the stronger card. And then it is exactly, it is exactly the 7600 with 16 gigabytes and more mm -hmm. pinned. So why are not people jumping on them? It's not about money or value, in my opinion. It's about ethics. Well, from my perspective, you know, I'd say let's wait for reviews, but it is going to be clocked decently faster. Um, I would say this would be an easier argument to make as well if they were also giving it faster RAM. But the RAM speed is the same between the 7600 and the 7600 XT. So, um, you know, I, I, I would say, honestly, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, If I was AMD, I guess the argument I would make is it's not like it's a 30, 68 gigabyte to 12 gigabyte. Um, it is a 8 to 16. This is so much more RAM and we're clocking it faster that it should feel like a different card. And I would just go, I don't see how that's any less dumb than the 30, 60, <laughs> 8 and 12 gigabyte, right? It's like I'd say exactly. the 8 gigabyte 3060 is much or worse. Or the 4060 Ti. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I would, I wouldn't defend it so much as go, I, you know, actually what I would say is this, I think there's no way around it. Um, you're gonna, we've seen a lot of dumb naming from, well, both sides, but AMD specifically this generation, because they made the original sin of the 7,900 XT. And so the second they called that card, the wrong name, they had to call so many other cards the wrong name. Because if they would have just called the XTX the 7900 XT, and they called the 7900 XT the 7800 XT for like $800, then they could have just gone 7800, 7700 XT. And then what we call the 7700 XT could have been called the 7600 XT. Then they could have gone down the stack, but it's too late. They've named the 7800 XT the wrong name, the 7900 XT and XTX the wrong name. And so I, my, my, my best explanation would just be it's impossible for them to name half of these cards correctly anymore because half of them already have the wrong name. 
That, that, that'd be the argument I would make. But I, well, I think they could just, maybe they just have really good yields, but I, I believe that they could do something like, um, for example, the, the 5700 XT is 40 compute units. The 6700 XT has 40 compute units as well. Mm-hmm. They could actually do a cut down, a cut down die uh, from the 52 compute units on the 7700 XT to 40 compute units as well, because the 7600 has 32 compute units mm-hmm. and uses uses Navi 33, I believe. Um, and they could kind of do a, a Navi 32 cut down to 40 compute units, maybe. But what I believe is if they didn't do that, um, because they are, because they're dumb, if that's not the case, um, maybe it's because since they are moving, because the only card using a monolithic design is the 7600, mm-hmm. Navi 3033. Maybe Navi 32, since it is, uh, MCM wouldn't perform that well with such a low amount of compute units. Maybe. Well, I, I've been told that there's another yield, 48 compute units. So if they were going to go below 54, which I believe is what they cut it down to, right? They would then go down to 48 because, and this is way above my 48 should be the 7700, maybe. Not XT. Yeah. Like, but there's only like, so there might be a 40 as well, but like I've actually had someone explain to me that like, the reason why they would disable parts of a die and what's even literally possible. And like the next step down is 48. So they could have done that. But I think if AMD could go back in time, because the reason the 7600 XT is launching, this is my opinion, I guess it's not proof, but my opinion is we're seeing right now at CES, Radeon laptop sales go to zero. I mean, there's like no laptops with AMD graphics cards anymore, unfortunately. So I think what AMD is doing is they're like, oh, well, our best yields go to laptop because they use the least energy. We've got to sell them to someone. And so they're just taking the yields that would have used 100 watts for the same performance as the 7600. And they're just over, they overclock better because they're meant for laptops, use less energy. So you can either use less energy or more uh, higher clock speeds. And then that's why they're using that for the 7600 XT because they have to get rid of them. If AMD could go back in time, I think what they would have done is given the 7600 28 compute units and made it cheaper and then launched the 7600 XT with eight or 16 gigabytes for whatever. Like if they could go back in time, that's what they would have done. But I think they expected far better laptop graphic sales this gen than they got. Like my, my understanding is Navi 33 was purpose designed to take laptop market share, and it just utterly failed. And so I don't think they ever thought they were going to launch a 7600 XT, and now they're just cobbling this together because they have to. So, it, it, But that doesn't excuse a lot of your complaints. That is, I think that's what they're doing. <laughs> doesn't mean it's good, though. Exactly. I mean, I really understand your point, and that may be it. What I, what I think... On the other hand, is that, um, okay, they have lots of dyes, definitely, and they have to sell them, but why not just name 7,616 gigabytes? Just forget about the XT. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Um, or because it, you it, have, it'll you be have... clocked a little faster, so that's going to be their argument. And, and I'm going to be honest, um, like to give an example, I tested the 6500 XT, 8 gigabyte, and I was surprised to find that it, it just instantly got like a 20, 30% performance boost. Even yeah, in but games that's because that set, of the bandwidth. 
Well, that's because of the amount of RAM is that it was so constrained. So I think from AMD's perspective is they're going to say in some games, it's going to feel 20% faster. So that's why we're doing this. Yeah, for example, in some of my benchmarks, since I am now currently testing, for example, uh, Ratchet and Clank, um, and we have other games that use lots and lots of bandwidth, like Spider-Man Remastered, those are insane in terms of bandwidth. So you Mm -hmm. you not only need the amount of VRAM, but you need enough throughput to to make the data flow. Uh, And what I found is that as soon as I go with any card that has like 8 gigabytes VRAM, in those specific games, as soon as I start pushing, it will, the performance will just sink down. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter the GPU, how many computer units, how many TMUs drops, doesn't really matter. Um, I will just release, for example, today a video of 40 games with a 3070, and that's exactly the, the title. Mm-hmm. Basically, is um, uh, or can the, the RTX 3070 run 1440p in 2024 with only 8 gigabytes VRAM? Because in some games, like I told you before, Ratchet and Clank, the, the 3070 is like completely constrained in terms of bandwidth. It mm. doesn't have it doesn't have enough VRAM, so the the wider bit buzz of 256 bit bits, of course, it helps when refreshing the, right. the VRAM. But as soon as you as you use, for example, upscaling that also uses bandwidth upscaling or especially ray tracing things are just, you can't just play the game. You have a Mm -hmm. strong GPU, but you can't play the game. You'll have like 20, 30 FPS with lots of stutters, insane frame spikes, because it is not enough. It is simply not enough. Well, so I want to use that then as an opportunity to switch to discussing some of the more NVIDIA stuff. So Arkinia08 writes in, he says, I personally think both NVIDIA and AMD's reputation have taken a bit of a hit this generation. Though AMD had a slight bump in the road in the launch of RDNA 3, I do think they have recovered since then, whereas NVIDIA seems to have driven themselves into a ditch. I know a few people who were very excited for the Ada Super Series, but the second the 4070 Super Reviews came out, people, he says, I know multiple people that said, nope, I'm just going to save money and get a 7800 XT. And that's something that, you know, I've covered on this channel. It's kind of, I think, one of the first ones actually to kind of break the story that like the 4070 Super is not selling well. Like it actually seems to be selling worse than almost any other launch I've seen this generation. And there were some pretty bad launches this generation. I'm curious if that surprises you. And I'm curious if a lot of it you think has to do with the fact that it doesn't have enough VRAM. Well, obviously selling a card uh, at that price point with 12 gigabytes VRAM uh, is not, <laughs> is not a, good, a good idea. But once again, it is a good improvement. And since Ada Lovelace has way more L2 cache, it kind of helps in those scenarios, of course, even having a, a narrower buzz with with only 12 gigabytes of VRAM. But of course, the thing I believe is that most NVIDIA users or most NVIDIA um, casual users, let's say this, they won't really care because uh, as soon as you enter the game, just one thing that annoys me, annoys the hell out of me is that when I enter the game with an NVIDIA GPU, um, the game automatically enables the LSS frame generation and everything. I just absolutely hate that. Mm-hmm. I have some settings set up. When I enter with an NVIDIA GPU, the settings are completely messed up because it forces the LSS. So what I mean with this is that people enter or people buy a 12 gigabytes card. They enter the game. They look at the game. Well, it looks fine. The LSS is enabled. 
Mm-hmm. Frame generation is enabled. So you are you are really rendering a way lower resolution so the VRAM won't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Now NVIDIA is also working on a better uh, VRAM compression technique, texture compression or something like that. So VRAM will matter a little less. Mm-hmm. And overall, the casual users don't really matter. And people that are making all this fuss are people like us. Or people that watch our channels and channels like, of course, Hardware and Box, Daniel Lowen, and so on, that talk that talk about those topics as well. Uh, and they're seeing that and they're like, well, 12 gigabytes won't be enough, so I just better get the 7800 XT because it has 16 gigabytes. And overall, in rasterization, it performs better. So at the same price or even at a lower, a lower price point, why should I get the 4070? Mm-hmm. Or even why should I get the 4070 Super? Because it is way more expensive. I can save some money, have about the same performance in rasterization, maybe 15, 10% less, 15% less. But at the same time, I have more VRAM and I saved some money. I can get a better processor. I can get a, uh, a new disc. I can get, I mean, I mean, I believe that's how people are thinking on this. That's why they get the 7800 XT you, over. You think they look at these products and they're like, their performance is pretty simpler. We're not talking about a 4090 or they're all 7800 XT, 4070, 4070 Super. All of these cards perform pretty much the same. One's cheaper and has RAM and then they're just done. You think that's what it is. I mean, that's basically that. So, sorry for uh, formulating a lot, but I mean, English is not my main language. And and I, I even came on this, on this, um, on this invitation and I didn't even thank you. I didn't even oh. thank you for, for, for actually inviting me. <laughs> uh, no, no. But thank you, by the way. Thank you. We can do all of the thanks at the end, though. Um, there's, you'll be able to plug your channel and stuff. I'm very glad you were able to come on. But I mean, no, I, 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 I think it's that, what we just said, which is that I think, at a, I think maybe NVIDIA thought if we add double-digit performance, but it's just barely double-digit. It's not like it's 20% or something more this will get people to buy it. And I think what they miscalculated was, well, anyone who's waited this long to get a graphics card at this price, is is it a you know 15% performance boost? Is that what's made them wait for it? I mean, I think anyone by now would have, if they didn't like the 4070 at $600, <clears throat> they either got it when it went on sale, they got a 7900 XT on sale, they got a 7800 XT on sale. Maybe they exactly. saw a 6800 16 gigabyte for under $400, which is what I'm recommending to everybody. I think that's a crazy good deal. Um, I don't know who was like, oh, man, I was really going to get a 4070, but I just wanted it to be 10% better at the same price. <laughs> I don't know who waits two years to buy that. I don't think I, anyone does. I think really, we'll see what happens with the other super launches, but I think the real solution to the 4070, make it 500 bucks. That's it. Like I, either you need to give it more RAM or make it cheaper because I mean, these levels of performance, we're talking about between a 3080 to a 3090. These, these are all very similar levels of performance and no one's asking for more performance. They either want it cheaper or more VRAM if they haven't bought it yet. I believe that the 4070 Super overall is a good deal. For the current market, the 4070 Super, once again, at MSRP mm-hmm. is a good deal. Um, because we have really close performance to the, to the 4070 Ti in some scenarios, of course. Um, and we're having it at around the same price as the, um, as the 4070, more or less 
because the, the prices of the 4070 still did not decrease as they should after the 4070 Super release. Now, this is a good deal on the NVIDIA side, because as soon as you go and you mm. watch some AMD deals, you, can, you, you just can't justify getting a 4070 Super. And I believe that people that are willing to spend, let's say, $600 or $650 on the, on the 4070 Super, they'll just get another 50 or 60, and they will just get a 7900 XT. Mm -hmm. 20 gigabytes VRAM, 320-bit buzz, way more rasterization performance, very decent uh, ray tracing performance. I mean, it's a no-brainer in my opinion. And that's why the, the 4070 Super is selling so bad in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, because if it, again, if it really was going to do well, it probably should have been 550 and then exactly. the 4070 below 500. That way there's no chance AIB super cooler models of the 4070 super get even close to the price of the 7900 xt because who in their right mind goes on amazon and sees a 4070 super for 650 and then a 7900 xt 20 gigabyte for 710 <laughs> and doesn't go i'm going to spend 10 percent more money for like 20 percent more raster or something and over over like over 50 percent like 60 something percent more ram i mean it's just it's kind of a hilarious choice once you get up to that price. Uh, and so I guess, so you, de I'm going to guess you definitely think that the 7900 XT below 750 is a very good deal though, right? Compared to everything else around it. Yeah, for me it is. Uh, of course, in Europe, things are a bit different. Um, so I know a bit about the market there in US because of course, uh, for example, I search for the price points when I make my GPU comparisons, the price points at the current time I'm making the GPU comparisons. So I search for, for example, Newegg, sometimes Micro Center. Mm -hmm. So I know a bit about the pricing there, but in Europe, it's different. For example, if we try to get something in Europe, um, let's say, for example, in my previous video, I, I did a comparison and the 4070 is around, let's say, five, 550, something like that. Mm-hmm. While the 4070 Super is like 650, so 100 euros, 120 yeah. euros over, that makes a difference. For, for example, in Portugal, our salary a month, because we have salary a month here, uh, is like 850 euros. So imagine mm -hmm. 100 euros is a big difference for in, in terms of GPUs, of course. Uh, and the 7900 XT is also a bit more expensive here. So you have awesome deals on the 7900 XT there, but in Europe, it kind of depends. Kind of depends, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious um, what you think the next move by AMD should be against the Super Series in terms of price drops, because it is my perspective that the 7800 XT does not need a price drop. It just needs whatever adjustments AMD has to do in the background to make it actually $500. And if that's the case, that's cheap enough. I don't actually think it needs to be much cheaper. And personally, I think the 7900 XTX could maybe use a $100 price drop. They do $200. I'll, hey, I'll take as much as they'll give us. But <laughs> I do think if it was $800, that that's, that's going to kill everything else in sales. I think that's maybe too much, but I, I'm wondering what you think, if you think the XTX really needs a price drop or not, and if, how much you think it would. Well, it definitely needs a price drop, but it depends on the, on the super releases because 
I do believe that the lower, the mid and lower end of the, um, of the super lineup will be the, the one that gets the, the biggest performance boost compared to the normal, oh, to yeah. normal lineup. As soon as you go up and up and up, the difference will be minimal. We're talking about, let's say, for example, the biggest difference in between the 4070 Ti, and I don't even have the card because I said several times in my videos, brands don't send me cards usually. I don't know why. I don't <laughs> know if they don't like me. If it is because I live in Portugal, I don't really know. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I have never been sent a graphics card from a brand. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fucked up. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I can say. Uh, I mean, I'll see a channel, and, and not that they shouldn't get it, but I'll see a channel with like 10,000 subscribers get sent a card, exactly, and then I, I won't get sent one. But uh, honestly, I, I, I think it's probably different for you. But for me, I, I think they just don't like that I'm critical of them. Uh, honestly, I just don't think they like how much I mean, I maybe maybe shit. that's that's the same for me because, um, I mean, for AMD, for NVIDIA, people call me fanboy. People can call me whatever they want. But uh, I'm always fair in my reviews. Mm -hmm. Always. Always. I even recommend NVIDIA GPUs sometimes because, in my opinion, uh, things shifted a bit from the, from the last five, six, yeah, five, six years, because before we actually had AMD on CPUs and GPUs being the best price performance in terms of mid to low end. Mm -hmm. And now I believe it's Not the opposite. Close. Yeah. Now it's, I believe it's the opposite. If we go to the low end of the GPU market, the RTX 4060 is the best you can get, in my opinion. The 70, I think I saw you say that the 7600, what it has going for it is it's cheaper, and that is literally it. And I, I would agree. Like the 4060 uses less energy, has DLSS. So would I spend less for a 7600? And at the same time, it's faster. Yeah. And is a bit, well, I'm, in the averages I've seen, they're pretty close. I, from my perspective, the reason you get a 7600 is you want the cheapest card with 8 gigabytes. But if that's what you want, then you should get a 6600. Because I don't see why we're getting any of these. And if you're going to get an 8 gigabyte card, I think the 4060 is... If it's just 10% more money, it's clearly worth the extra 10%. I think. Yeah, and from my, from my perspective, I mean, you can overclock the 4060 very easily. And if you do overclock versus overclock, the difference mm -hmm. in terms of power draw, it's like 80 watts. Oh, That's a lot. That's a lot. And the 4060 is still faster. Mm -hmm. And once again, you have the LSS, uh, you have frame generation that in some games works really bad. But anyway, um, you have that package just ready to be used uh, while consuming less power and costing, let's say, like 30 bucks more or something like that. So mm -hmm. it is the best. And the same goes for Intel. In my opinion, in terms of CPUs, Intel now since the 10th th generation, it has the best low-end CPUs with the i3s. Mm, as soon as i3s, you go, okay, I agree. As soon as you go from the mid-tier to the high-tier, it's AMD. Mm -hmm. and, no, and, yeah, I agree. I wasn't sure what you were going to say there, because I think even like, I don't know how it is in Portugal, but in the US, Zen 3 still sells like crazy. But it sells like crazy above $200, typically speaking, and those Alder Lake i3s, I still don't really feel like AMD has anything challenging those, even remotely speaking. Because they don't. Because mm -hmm. they don't. If you go to any Ryzen 3 that they launched or the Ryzen 5, um, the Ryzen 3 that they called Ryzen 5, <laughs> uh, in terms of CPU performance, it's just not competitive. You can get, for example, the even if we call about Alder Lake with a 12100F, it just wipes the floor with anything on that same price tag that AMD has right now. 
They will, of course, release now the new APUs and that might change a bit. Um, but right now, even the older Lake i3s are just great. If you go to, to Coffee Lake, I believe, or Raptor Lake after that, mm -hmm. uh, it is even better. So I see no reason to get an AMD uh, CPU on the lower end unless you already have a motherboard or something like sure. that. Yeah. Um, Compressor Earthblocks writes in, he says, Tom and Fabio, we've recently seen the entire stacks from both RDNA 3 and Lovelace, presumably by now. In your opinions, which card do you think is the strongest position and which card is in the weakest and could use improvement for both the, four, the RDNA 3 and Lovelace? Um, I'll give my answer. Actually, it's probably the same answer. I think the 4060 Ti is the worst card in NVIDIA's lineup. Definitely. But if the 16 gigabyte version was under $400, I might actually like it a lot. I, I do think that's worth pointing out that like, it's the price. If a 16 gigabyte 4060 Ti was below 400, well, we, you, you'd be looking at something that's a, almost a 3070 with 16 gigabytes. It's like 20% weaker than the 7700 XT, but it would have more RAM and be 20% cheaper. So if it was cheaper, I actually think that it could also become one of their strongest cards, but I doubt it will become that much cheaper. So, Yeah, and, and I believe it would because of the frame generation alone, because otherwise you're just better getting a, a used card from the previous generation, mm -hmm. AMD or NVIDIA sided. Um, as for that, I completely agree with you uh, for the 60 Ti. Definitely the, the weakest card of Ada Lovelace. Now, as for RDNA 3, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question because I believe that the, the weakest card in terms of performance solely, I believe it's the 7600. Mm -hmm. Because it's a card that with the same computer units, exactly the same computer units as, the, um, as the, the previous generation, the 6600 XT or the 6650 XT, um, it performs on average like 15, 20% better at most from my testing. At most, it's and, probably like 10%. <laughs> and consumes the same power. So no, no, any kind, there's not any kind of, <laughs> of performance per watt improvements, nothing. As if we talk about the price performance ratio, I believe that uh, the weakest card is the 7700 XT. Yeah. Should be well, cheap. you know, here, the funny thing is, is if you go and look at reviews for the 7700 XT and 7800 XT, at least when they came out, the 7700 XT was actually the second best price performance card in the lineup, but no one would choose that over a 7800 XT. $50 uh, different. Yeah, I, I have to say that um, my personal opinion is they just shouldn't have launched that card. Like, I, I don't see the point, especially if they're doing a 16 gigabyte 7600 XT. They could have gone 24 gigs, 20 gigs, 16, 16, 8. And instead, they've got this weird 12 gigabyte card in the middle here that no one really wants. Now, maybe they had to launch it. I don't know. You know, maybe they just had those yields they had to get rid of. I kind of doubt that, to be honest, because I doubt they had a lot of yields that forced 12 gigabytes. I mean, it's MCDs anyways. I, I feel like that should have just had 16 gigabytes and been 450, or it shouldn't have existed because launching a 12 gigabyte card below 500, I just think it would have been such a big marketing win if AMD could have said, every card above $300 has 16 gigabytes or more. And now they can't say that. I don't... I, I don't know why you launch a product that makes your lineup look so weird. It's the same as Ampere, where they had the 
eight gigabytes, but then the 12 gigabyte 3060. It's like, I don't know why you're doing that. Yeah, I know. I know perfectly what you mean. I believe that the point is the 7700 XT, unless AMD keeps um, manufacturing the, the previous GPU line for, let's say, several time after the 7000 series uh, launching, the 7700 XT is definitely needed because in terms of performance, that card is actually a nice upgrade over the previous, uh, the previous generation. Because if we compare, for example, the 6700 XT versus the 7700 XT, even if we push OC versus OC, the mm -hmm. 7700 XT, according to my tests, is still around 30, 35% faster overall in terms of rasterization. So it is a decent uplift in terms of generation, generation A versus generation B. But the pricing is the, is the incorrect step there. If they could have launched it like $100, $150 below, at least $100, it yeah, would sell like hotcakes. Yeah, it would sell like hotcakes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think at least from people I've talked to at AMD, or at least people who work with AMD on this one, actually, um, they've said, well, here's the thing. Navi 32 costs more to produce than Navi 22 did. It is using chiplets that cost money to package them together. Half of the silicon, or little over half the silicon, is 5 nanometer. That costs more money. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course. So it costs more than Navi 22 to make, but it does cost less than Navi 31. Well, what does that mean? Well, the 6710 gigabyte, I think, launched for like $400. So this costs more to make than that, but it costs less than 600 because that was Navi 31. So I, my understanding is it's just hard to price it. At least they were worried to, at a minimum, to price it close to $400. Because once you get below $400, we're getting into a situation where like the 7600 costs half as much to make. And it doesn't really make sense to sell it for that much. But again, that's why I would go, well, then you needed to give it more RAM if you're going to charge that much for it. Or it doesn't make sense. But I think they probably also launch it, a theory. Uh, if RAM prices go up a lot, which they are going up this year, I wonder if it's kind of like the 3070 Ti, where it's an excuse to sell a decently strong card with less RAM if RAM prices go up. So that's another theory I have, because there is, like, NVIDIA is launching the 4080 Super, or 40, sorry, 4070 Ti Super 16 gigabyte. They are launching that. Um, RAM prices are higher this year than last, but they're a lot cheaper than they were in 2022. And so I think half the reason they're even launching that card for $800 is RAM's cheaper than it used to be. So I, I almost wonder if a reason AMD has that 12 gigabyte card in their lineup is in case RAM prices go up, they can shift supply to the one that doesn't use as much RAM. That's always something I'm thinking about when I look at these products out there you know or even like the 3068 gigabyte they're launching that right before the year where ram prices are going up and they need to sell these cards for less i always think that there's something going on here where they're like giving themselves options so that if one thing goes up they can make less of one card and more of another and vice versa you know yeah but i mean the ram prices are like five percent of the general cost of the gpu so I don't think that would make that. Hence, much I think of a they difference. should give it 16 gigabytes if they're going to charge for it. Exactly, but but the point the point is that uh, when you are giving it 16 gigabytes, you actually have to to run with 256 buzz width, 
Uh, and that alone, unless you cut down the, the VRAM frequency, would make it very, very close to the 7800X in terms of performance. And that would not make sense in terms of marketing because they would have, once again, to cut down prices or they would have to increase the price of the 7800XT. And if they increase the price of the 7800XT, it wouldn't sell well versus the 4070. I mean, it's kind of a... Of I feel like this a, card was always going to be hard <laughs> to make, though. Exactly. And that's exactly. what I've heard them say, too. It's like, that card was always going to be really hard to position. Um, but let me see here. All right, let me... Da, da, da. Um, all right, let me see. Yeah, let me switch gears to this question. So XTX999 writes in and says, it looks like consumers, for the most part, are starting to say no to what NVIDIA is giving them. But what is going on with AIBs? How are they handling the poor sales of the 4070 Super and the chess match NVIDIA is having with who knows who with pricing, stock, and allocation? Tom, a long time ago, you mentioned that you don't think any more AIBs are going to leave NVIDIA like EVGA did anytime soon, but that you had heard one of them might leave in the next few years. Has that changed? Is it the same? Are they still holding on to the sliver? Or and should we hope that EVGA reboots themselves under Intel or AMD? I don't. I don't think EVGA is going to be making graphics cards anytime soon again. Um, but what I, what I would answer is, um, I, I've still heard that. I haven't really looked into it though for a couple months to be a fair, but that there is still one AIB out there that Nvidia is like pushing really hard with low margins, and I I don't think that's changed. I can uh, I can almost be sure that it is either MSI or Asus. I'm not oh. going to answer you. Don't don't keep guessing. We're not having it come out in this episode. Mm. But um, <laughs> I actually think Asus is doing pretty well, by the way, because people just buy their cards. They buy the uh, and the raw guns. Yeah, they they buy the raw and like the the matrix. Like I've heard multiple retailers tell me that there's always someone that walks in and is like, I want the matrix edition of this Asus <laughs> graphics card. So I guess, you know, I won't answer who it is. I will say, I mean, I think Asus is doing fine first for whatever reason, people just buy up their stuff like crazy. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I, we can of course move on if you want, but I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Like, when the 4070 Super came out, I heard a lot of AIBs were pretty pissed off that NVIDIA was selling tons of Founders Editions from their own website and then forcing AIBs to have like over half of the allocation that they had to sell for above MSRP. I mean, that's a, a sketchy move because AMD already, AMD, NVIDIA already has a, a huge a margin of profit in, in some GPUs. Um, so that's a, a dick move. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, they say, we, how are we supposed to compete? Like you were literally making us sell these 4070s for 650. Exactly. And, you're selling and them the, 600 year on website. And if you look at some years ago, well, the reference models were crap, but now the reference models are actually good. And people will say like, okay, if I have a reference model that's performing well in terms of cooling, why should I go to, the, to an AIB model? If I can get this on NVIDIA website. I, I know a lot of people that try to hunt down the Founders Edition because they think it looks the coolest. It's made out of the most metal on the outside often. And it also uh, it's also the most compact. It actually fits in your case. Exactly. Unlike these AIB yeah, models. Yeah, on the, on the newest generation, big. yeah. Um, Only Zotac. Zotac has still the little ones. Mm -hmm. um, and some other brands like PNY and so on. Yeah, well, MSI and Asus are starting to make their like, I forgot what MSI's is called, but there's the slim. Uh, there's the slim. <laughs> yes, there's slim. the slim. 
Basically, you know, the normal, the normal before is now the slim. <laughs> you know what? I, I will let you. I'll, I'll let you in on this. What I heard about the MSI Slim, which one was it? I believe M, there was some launch from AMD, which MSI wasn't a part of. I think it was the seventy eight hundred XT. And if you go back and look, if I, if I remember correctly, there was like no MSI cards for the seventy eight hundred XT launch. Which is weird because that's the best selling Radeon card from this generation. So if you're in an AIB, you oh, want to be, yeah, oh yeah, I think pretty easily. Um, it's I think it actually goes that in the XTX. Um, I think MSI. Uh, no, well, I should say those models, not the AIB. So the 7800 XT is the best selling Radeon card this generation. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But then MSI didn't have any 7800 XTs at launch. I kind of heard that like there was like some deal with Nvidia that if Nvidia let them sell the Slim series, they wouldn't make 7800 XTs for a couple months. And I think they were biting themselves for doing, kicking themselves for doing that because that, that 7800 XT sold better than they expected. But I, I guess I'll just say that like there are a lot of these deals going on in the background, people. Like when you see Asus, and this is an example, I don't actually have one a real one but like if you saw asus launch some new flagship special series only on nvidia um and then not do something with an amd launch it's probably because they brokered some deal with nvidia yeah that happens a lot actually yeah so uh but yeah that was a funny one i believe the slim line was something like nvidia giving them a sweetheart deal on cheaper prices so they could make the slim series and in return they didn't want them to sell 7800 xds or something at least that's something i've heard that's kind of funny that's actually very believable. Um, yeah, and because it happens all the time, these types of deals. Ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of eBay postings and CD websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced Microsoft software? Well, you don't have to do that. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And you know, they've been a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and the entire team here for years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to dozens of me and Dan's family members and friends for years now. And they've also been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. Um, Chris Rich writes in and he says, let's say for the sake of example that the 4070 Ti Super has good initial sales. Would you take that as evidence that the original had too little VRAM for its price point? Do you think that the 5070 cards could fail if they came at a similar price with 12 gigabytes of VRAM? Well, for sure, if NVIDIA, I'm going to say, if NVIDIA sells an $800 card with 12 gigabytes next year, I, I don't think people are going to want that. Um, I, it would have to be stronger than a 40, way stronger than a 4090. It would have to be like, I mean, the, the, you'd have to be able to argue it's like a, a better 4090 for half the price. In, you'll accept 12 gigabytes. So I don't think that would work, but I'm wondering what you expect out of 4070 Ti sales. If you think it will do well at $800, although there's a lot of evidence it will be over 800 in most regions most of the time. Um, yeah, and if it does sell well, 
if it does sell well, do you think that proves people just wanted more RAM or what? I just, I just think that it proves that the current generation is not worth in terms of mid-tier cards. I believe that's all that it proves. Because people are either going to the, um, to the top-tier cards or just going to the previous generation in terms of mid-tier because you have the 6800 XT, the 4080, the, um, the 3080, sorry, uh, the 3090 and so on. You can find them cheap, especially on the AMD side, you have the 6950 XT. Mm-hmm. You have really strong cards with 16 gigabytes VRAM and you can buy it at extremely good prices. And people on the mid-tier, you always, of course, you always, have, you always have the people that have to buy the most recent generation. But generally, at least in Europe, people go on the mid-tier, people go more to the, to the previous generation GPUs that were stronger uh, when they released. So maybe the... Um, the latest generation or the, the, not the latest, how should I say it? The early, the early generation top tier cards, they buy it, they buy them to fit in the, um, the mid tier of the current generation it, because mm-hmm. it's better in terms of price performance. And usually since it, it's the, the early generation, the previous generation, well, it still gets features, especially on the MD side, it still gets this feature, FSR3, frame generation and so on. So people tend to do that in Europe. As for mm-hmm. the 4070 Ti Super, I believe that people will still buy, of course, uh, because it has 16 gigabytes. But I don't believe that the sales will be that great. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as the Super lineup gets released, the, the early lineup needs to get the price cuts. And with price cuts, people can just buy the 4080. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens there. My understanding, at least every time I've asked contacts, like, so what's going on with the 4080? Are they going to drop the price? They always say, it's almost like they're acting like the 4080, let's just not talk about it anymore. Because like, (laughs) from what I've heard is they stopped making them like half a year ago. And I think they're just hoping it'll Uh, go away, which is weird. You'd have to assume some places are going to do a special deal on them because you can't keep selling them for that price, but it's so weird. When you look at, let's see, if exactly. I go to Newegg right now and look at the price, the price hasn't gone down. In fact, if anything, it's gone up slightly versus a few months ago. Which so is, I honestly think there's almost none of them left, and NVIDIA's just hoping no one asks. Like, I mean, because the, the 4070 Ti Super is basically like 90 or 95% of what the 4080 is in terms of physical units. If you are looking at that, it's basically... Well, it actually is really, like 15% really more. Uh, that that's the one thing that blind spot that I think that's out there wait, right wait, now. Wait, wait, it it has fifteen percent more compute in it. Yeah, because nine seven two eight divided by eight four four eight equals one point one five one five. So I think that's a blind spot a lot of people have right now is assuming the forty seventy Ti Super is the same as a forty eighty. The forty eighty has faster RAM. The forty eighty has over fifteen percent more CUDA cores. Um, I think the 4080 is going to be, a, I think it, I think at least 10% faster. I think it's going to be about 10% faster, honestly, maybe we'll say eight to 12% faster. And if you think about that, then I think the 4070 Ti Super is probably going to be mm, four to 8% faster than a 7900 XT. And with that in That's mind, true. I think a lot of people might just save a hundred dollars and get the 7900 XT. Exactly, but uh, sorry, but you were saying that the 4070 Ti Super had more uh, cores than the 4080. 
Uh, no, the 4080 has 15% more. Oh, oh, oh. that's, <laughs> I wasn't really understanding that. Okay, that, that makes sense. So 15% difference, yes. In terms of performance, they might ramp up a bit the clocks and maybe the VRAM uh, GDDR6X. No, it's actually slower than the 4080's GDDR6. So, slower so, as well. So just... I'm just calling it. It is not a 4080. It's going to be 10% weaker, I think. And I, I think... believe maybe more than that. And so Maybe from that more. perspective, I think a $700, 7,900 XT, it's going to be pretty close in performance. It'll have more RAM. I don't think it's a slam yeah. dunk, but I don't think the demand's going to be there as much as some people think it will be. I could be wrong. I could be totally Definitely. wrong. Definitely. No, no, you're right. I believe you're right because I just checked and the, and the amount of L2 cache is also considerably less. 64 okay. versus 48. So yeah, it will definitely be around 15% slower. So if it is 15% slower, it means that it actually goes in between the 4070 Ti and the 4080, more or less mm -hmm. like that. That splits Wh the difference. Which means it will be really, really close to the 7900 XT as soon as you raise those power limits on the 7900 XT. Yes. Just, just pray to God and just say, okay, I don't really care about the power limits. Let it hit. Um, and in that scenario, it will be very close to the 7900 XT. That by the time will maybe, maybe get a bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I'm wondering then, I guess this gets into the next conversation I wanted to have perfectly. I mean, how do you feel about the Super Series overall? Because the people I talked to at NVIDIA seem to think that they had a, a knockout blow. They thought this was, <laughs> well, AMD's de AM dead. AMD has no chance. There's no way they can compete with this. And then I look at the 4070 Super sales and I told myself, a couple of weeks ago, if the 4070 Super sells very, very well, then I think it's worked. But if it sells badly, I don't really see why the other ones would do that much better. Besides the 4080 Super, which I think will sell okay at first because no one can get a 4090. Um, so I, 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 I don't, I'll just say it, I guess I'm leading into it. I, I don't think it was aggressive enough. I, I don't think these were the price points people wanted for it to work out. And now that AMD's dropped prices, I can't help but feel like 500 750 and $900 is what they needed. Like that people want a $750 4070 Ti super. They don't want an $800 one. I can they want a $500 4070 super too. I can agree and definitely relate because uh, let's see for example in terms of price points with uh with those cards. For example, if we go to the <laughs> in Portugal in Portugal we have a we have a saying that is more or less like you don't change the team that wins. Mm -hmm. If the team is winning, you just let it there, let it win. And basically, AMD does not have to release more cards. They just have to keep fiddling with the ones that they do have. Um, they could release maybe a refresh, but for what? I, I agree, by the way. I've heard people say they should launch a 7950 XTX, and I go... For what, $1,200? I don't think anyone wants a $1,200 card. I think they want the XTX to be $800 and they don't want a refresh. They just want it to get cheaper. I think that's what people want. And that's not that's not only the case because, for example, even if they refreshed, let's say, the, the mid-tier cards, let's not release a 7750 XT or a 7850 mm -hmm. XT, something like that. For what? You can just get the 7900 XT. Why get mm -hmm. the 7850 XT? Why? AMD would spend more money in marketing. They would spend more money in making contracts with AIBs once again. 
And already they've been burned by some of these sales. So they're not going to want them. Why? It makes no sense. And basically, um, what what you were talking before about the the AIBs like EVGA and so on. Well, I believe that that's how the market rules because some go away, some, well, just go into the market. For example, EVGA went away, but now you have other new new AIBs that you didn't have before some years ago, like Hasrock. And they actually make very good, um, very good GPUs on the AMD side, of course. I don't, I don't know if they still or they will make on the NVIDIA side, but they do make GPUs for Intel and, and uh, AMD, and they are actually very nice. For example, we have uh, Acer, that the real mm-hmm. name is Acer. Um, they're Spanish, and they also started making Intel GPUs, and now they're making AMD GPUs as well. Mm-hmm. So some go away. Some just kick in the door and enter the market. It's how the market rolls, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point, too, of like, uh, I have to be careful here because I don't want to like hate on EVGA, especially when everybody's sad they're gone. But, you know, I mean, EVGA made those deals with NVIDIA to get ahead. They, My understanding is they made huge deals with NVIDIA my understanding also is that NVIDIA was like somehow paying off some of EVGA's debt for something actually is what I've heard. And NVIDIA in return was expecting EVGA to take the most cards to sell them at the lowest prices to make NVIDIA look good. Like during the Ampere series when no one can get a graphics card, EVGA had a lot of 3060s for under $400. I mean, they were one of the only people doing that. And that's because NVIDIA was giving them the most allocation in exchange for EVGA making the least profits. I believe so, that's, that's, uh, that's Sapphire is basically AMD's EVGA. They are, yeah. I don't think they have as bad margin as EVGA did. But again, you know, True. EVGA signed those contracts. Um, and, well, I think what ultimately happened with EVGA is they had an aging head of the company who wanted to get out of the business anyways uh who's you know you know he's one of those old asian businessmen who cares a lot about honor and not being screwed over is what i was told and then over here you have nvidia say well you need to buy all these lovelace cards and they said well we have too many cards left to sell like you made too many we're gonna go out of business and then nvidia said well you have to buy them right and then evga said we don't have to buy them we'll just go out of business because we don't care and then nvidia thought they were bluffing and they weren't bluffing (laughs) evga was like no we have too many cards. We'll just sell 3,000 series for the next three years without your help, and then we'll leave. And I think NVIDIA thought they were calling their bluff because who would be crazy enough to not want the new NVIDIA series? And they weren't bluffing. They wanted to retire. So, you know, on the one hand, you go, it's too bad for EVGA. NVIDIA definitely, in many ways, screwed them over. On the other hand, you go, they are the ones who signed those contracts with NVIDIA that no one else probably was willing to sign. And it just, it didn't work out though. And now Acer or Acer, I suppose, uh, if I said that right, um, is coming Acer. in. Acer. Yeah. It's I didn't Spanish. know they were Spanish, by the way. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Um, I'm not Spanish, but they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do, but you're right. We do say Acer in America. Um, and, uh, you know, there will be new people who enter the market and make cards. Ultimately, you know, and you're already seeing PNY make tons more graphics cards. They never used to make any graphics cards just a few years ago, basically. Yeah, you have like the XLR that they make now, it's which which is like their gaming ones. They're what is it? They have the longest names, though. They're like XLR, Accelerate, Great, 
triple fan <laughs> like their names are insane i don't it's actually like understand those what names, they're doing it's like those names from wish uh when you're buying something and it's like seven times the same the same name followed synonyms mm -hmm. like graphics card gpu 16 gigabytes vram 6000 megabytes vram <laughs> um all right so let me move on to one thing i definitely want to uh touch on here before we close out compressor earthblocks writes and it says fabio big fan of your content just wanted to know your thoughts on how you feel rdna4 will stack up against blackwell do you think amd has earned enough good faith in gamers from rdna one through three to do to be very successful if they hit a home run mm. well rdna4 is still i didn't really investigate much about rdna4 but what i can tell for sure is that if they actually um, take the experience that they had with RDNA 3 and they do a follow-up, a pretty good follow-up and say, okay, this is the way we, we want to go, MCM. This is it. This is the future. From now on, we'll just build on MCM modules, chips, no monolithic dies, and that's the way we go. We will improve this. Maybe they'll get something really nice because RDNA 3 already improves quite a lot with drivers. But since they are kind of a, well, they use kind of a distinct design, it was really hard for the driver's team to actually catch yeah. up. The, the hardware designers were like, okay, this is it. Now do your job. And they, they, they kind of had to do their jobs because it's really hard to, it's a completely different thing. From what I've heard, some people that I know told me this. Um, as for RDNA 4, well, the driver's team is already working on kind of the same design. If they keep MCM and they improve or at least fix the flaws that they had with RDNA 3, I believe that we can get, if we don't get the best performance, because we most likely won't versus NVIDIA, we won't get the fastest card, most likely. But what most gamers want, after all, is the same. It's the best price performance ratios. So my understanding is that they had, and I'm sending you a link here, um, I probably should have sent this ahead of time, um, <laughs> is that RDNA 4 had this elaborate chiplet design that um, was even more crazy. And uh, the link has like a picture to when it was first shared here. Um, if you want to see something that looks absolutely wild, this is my understanding what the original <laughs> RDNA 4 flagship was. but. I've heard that's canceled uh, for a number oh. of reasons. Number one, um, they thought they could get it to work and it would be powerful, but it wasn't going to be cheap and it would have taken even more driver work. And like, I don't remember how many total chiplets I heard it had. It was like more than 12 or something crazy. Yeah, that's um, insane, actually. Now, would it have been the strongest card? Maybe, but it may have cost $2,500. And from what I've heard, they've and actually... like 600 watts per draw. I mean, if they pushed it, I'm sure, right? That's about what MI300 uses, so why not 600 for that, too? Um, my understanding is that they're going to do two, at least two, monolithic dies that are much more analogous to what they did with RDNA 1, which is they'll probably compete at the start of the high end of NVIDIA, but that's it. And I think what, I, what I've heard is they're targeting bringing 4080 slash 7900 XTX performance down to $400 to $600. So think what we have now at the top, half the price, but not beating the 4090. And I 
I actually don't have a firm release date. I assume it comes out quarter four this year. And I think they're doing it for two reasons. Number one, again, the cost issues and just they don't think it's worth it. But I think also number two is this year is all about laptop and they want a good laptop chip. And this is good enough for laptop. Also, I believe a version of this, uh, not what I've sent you, but a version of their mid-range chip is what they're using for some modified thing in the PS5 Pro or something. So mm. I think their idea is we the only PS5 need... The PS5 Pro uses like the uses RDNA 2 as well. It's like a 6800. Um, well, I, what I've s- seen, and actually I'm not sure of this one. So this is just, I think it's like a combination of 2, 3, and 4, and 5. Like Kind of like the way the PS4 Pro uh, had some Vega stuff before Vega came out, but was more like a Polaris, but exactly. also lacking some... But it's... It's custom, you know. Well, it does but have 60 compute units, right? That's I that's what I've read. I can't say that my anyone I know personally can 100% confirm that. But because I believe currently that's true. we have PS5 with 36 compute units because it's more or less like the 6700 non XT. Mm-hmm. So it will be a big jump in terms of performance, definitely. Yeah. And that, I think that's what AMD is thinking. And as long as we have something good enough for the PS5 Pro, something that's good enough for laptop, high-end laptops, something that's good enough for $500 market. Do we really need a flagship this generation? So that's my understanding is that's what AMD is doing is launching something like an XTX for $500. Whereas from what I hear NVIDIA, I mean, I think they're just going to launch the 5090 at the end of this year and nothing else yet. And it's going to be super, super strong, but cost $2,000. I'm wondering how you would see that playing out. uh, For me, that's not a, a correct decision. Because as soon as, uh, as we went with, uh, with the AMD cards are good, AMD cards are performing well, people are expecting to see something that performs at the top tier. And most people will change, don't get me wrong, because they will change to NVIDIA if they don't get a top tier AMD GPU. That's a given, period. Now, what I believe AMD should do is give gamers the option. Mm. It was like, okay, we have RDNA 4 up to, let's say, the upcoming 5070 or 5070 Ti. Mm -hmm. This is what we have RDNA 4, but it costs way less and, for example, is very power efficient. People would say, well, great, okay, if we get AMD for the mid to low end or low to mid end, it's all AMD because it's the best price performance. If you want the fastest, we go to NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That, that's okay. But that won't change actually the, um, the mindset that people have that if, we, if you want the best, you go NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. And that mindset actually translates to the, um, for the more casual buyers, of course, it translates to the lower stack of the, of the lineup. Because people say, well, it's, it's a 4060, but if I want the best, I go NVIDIA. And most times that's not the case because if you want the best in that price point, you have AMD mm-hmm. or you can even have Intel if you are crazy enough to support some, some bugs. But uh, I do believe that AMD should have the option to say and say like, this is a car that costs $1,500. It is not for everyone, yeah, but it is here. It's fast. It's crazy fast. If you want to buy it, we sell it. In some ways, I feel like, though, if these rumors are true, is that AMD is just kind of like giving up for a couple years because 
and this is a theory, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I think that they're worried that if they sell a card for $1,500 and it's FSR is worse than DLSS and they have worse ray tracing, that no one's going to pay $1,500 for it. Like, I think that's their fear that until they catch up in ray tracing and in DLSS. Intel is already better in ray tracing. Oh, that's that would be AMD's point, right? <laughs> like, as long as we're not, because if someone's going to spend a, over a thousand, and I and this is something that I suspect, if someone's going to spend over a thousand dollars, the raster performance is already a joke. Like, it's not even a consideration at a certain point because raster's so I good agree. now for the current generation. Yeah, but the next generation, people will look more and more into ray tracing performance. Raster will be good, of course, but people will look more and more into ray tracing definitely so my suspicion is that amd projected that they were going to beat nvidia and raster with this crazy 13 chiplet design but that nvidia with the 5090 might still win in ray tracing and have dlss and they said we are worried that we're going to sell something that costs a ton of money to make and if anyone's going to spend over a thousand dollars why would they not get the one that has better ray tracing and i think that's what amd is worried about now to be fair I don't think they're done in the high end. I just think like this year they might launch RDNA 4 for the mid-range and then just like RDNA 1 to RDNA 2. One year later, I think RDNA 5 will be high end again. And they're just kind of leapfrogging. But uh, I mean, that's they don't have to have the top tier GPU, but at least they should bring something like close, really close to the 5080 level of performance. That's my opinion. They don't mm -hmm. have to have the the best, the best performer, but something really close to that, maybe like on the level of the 5070 Ti, if there's something like that. Um, but at least there, because I would be completely fine if they, if they said, or they told people that, uh, okay, we're not making these GPUs, but it, but we're, we're going to grab that, this money, this amount of money that we're saving and we'll put it into software development. Mm -hmm. We're improve F we're gonna improve FSR. We're gonna make it AI or whatever. Uh, we're gonna improve frame generation. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're gonna improve codecs and coding and so on. That's what we're gonna work now in. We're gonna do this, and in the next year, you have the software already done, mm -hmm. and we'll bring the hardware. Mm -hmm. And another Chris writes in and says, Hi guys, my hope for RDNA 4 is that it brings XTX performance to $500 for the 8800 XT. But my question is, could we be looking at a new pattern emerging where they have major gains one gen and then just bring the price down with only a mid-range offering the next? My suspicion is maybe. Like maybe they're realizing that like RDNA 2 is really good, you know, but that over time, maybe it would be easier if they made a new graphics architecture and then, like RDNA 1, RDNA 4, went for the mid-range. And then once they have that figured out, they scale it up to something bigger, RDNA 2, RDNA 5. I think, I think actually that might be what they're doing. Although I will say, I also might suspect that they just thought the design for RDNA 3 wasn't it yet. Like, if you look at Zen 2, they've been using the same design as Zen 2. I mean, still, I mean, Zen 5 is going to use the same iodi. Two chiplets, same shape. I wonder if yeah, they, they only want... changed with the uh, with the CCX. They removed yeah. CCX. Now they have the the, the die sizes only. are almost the same too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you almost wonder if like that was their hope with RDNA three, but if they cancel that, they're like, this isn't good enough to use for ten years straight. 
and then they saw this one that I showed you that they canceled, maybe they're like, that costs too much. <laughs> I wonder I if mean, they're still fiddling with the idea. Maybe, because I, I remember watching um, a live stream like some years ago with Dr. Alyssa Sue, uh, and she was actually telling that um, the, the first... The first Zen wasn't supposed to be the Zen. Mm-hmm. Basically, the first Ryzen CPUs were not supposed to be the Ryzen CPUs. I remember this perfectly. Um, and she said that the first Ryzen CPUs were supposed to be the Zen 2. Mm. But they, weren't, they, they didn't have enough money. So they had to release something to the consumer, something to, oh. well, to sell, make money. And so Zen was kind of a midterm in between the real Zen that they wanted to release, which was Zen 2, that had a massive IPC uplift. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they are doing something like that on the, on the GPUs. Maybe they, they think, like you said, uh, okay, this isn't good enough, or we won't have enough profit selling these. So mm. we'll just lowball these ones, and on the next generation, we'll come up strong. Maybe, maybe. Again, we don't know, but that is, I definitely think that's a possibility that they made RDNA 3, it's okay. Then they worked on RDNA 4, and they were like, oh, RDNA 4 is great. Uh, but <laughs> actually, this new thing with RDNA 5 for the high end works even better. Actually, it's, it works so much better that the high-end RDNA 4 is a waste of time. That is, I believe, what happened with RDNA 1 as well. I mean, there were plenty of rumors that there was a 384-bit RDNA 1 graphics card. And even and I, with RDNA 3, you can see that RDNA 3 can support, um, well, a higher number MCDs. of physical units, yeah. And they just decided not to release it because I think they said, ah, high-end RDNA 1 is... RDNA 2 is going to be so much better. We should not even bother with a high end. It's going to look silly compared to this. I, I do think there's a very good chance that that's what's going on with RDNA 5 as well. Although just in general, I think there's a chance everything we're proposing is true. Maybe it makes more sense to work on the mid-range and laptop now. Maybe it also is that they didn't want to spend the money, and maybe it also is that RDNA 5 looks good. It's very possible all of these things were factors in making this decision because I guess one thing, I'll, well, the final thing I'll say about it is what I heard is this wasn't an easy decision. Like there was a lot of like arguing about it. Like you don't just decide to cancel the high end exactly. a year before it comes out. And because you think it's a good idea, like there was heated debates over it is what I heard. Yeah, and a lot of people wanted it to come out. I believe most people still don't agree, but I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. All right. So wait, let me see here. All right, Donald Kerner writes in and he says, will Blackwell be closer to a Maxwell or Pascal moment in terms of uplift? Which prior generation would compare to ADA the most? Well, I'll say I think ADA is actually pretty comparable to Pascal. They just charged way too much money for it. Um, But I mean, in terms of uplift, I think Maxwell is like around a 40% if you're comparing the Titan to the Titan. Um, You know, I think that's probably closer to what Blackwell will be just because they're using three nanometer and that's, not as much of a node uplift as I mean they went from eight nanometer to almost four nanometer. That's exactly. that's like three nodes. So I, I expect a thirty-five to seventy percent performance uplift, but that's top die to top die. I do think we need to remember that the forty ninety has been cut down like a lot, like by twelve percent. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did like an almost full die for the fifty ninety, and because it's not cut down, it's actually a similar uplift to what we saw for the 4090 and the 3090. If we're talking about, let's say, the 5090, I believe that the difference can indeed go up to, let's say, 60-70% if 
they just, well, push it to the maximum. I don't believe that that will be the case. I'll, I believe more like to the 50, 60. I think uh, so, and, yeah. And for the lower tier cards, we'll most likely see around 30, 40%. If NVIDIA isn't crazy enough to do what they did with a 4060, 4060 Ti and so on. But they did that because AMD did the same, so or close to the same with the 7600 and so on. But I believe that's it from 30 to 60%, depending on the, on the, the GPU itself. Yeah, that, that's what I, I think. My suspicion is what they're going to do is launch the 5090 like end of November this year, and then that's it. Not even launch anything else yet They'll because wait. they don't need to. They'll just wait, exactly. I think that's just kind of what the they should have done, by the way, with the 4080. I don't think so. They should have launched the 4080 when they did. Um, and then they'll, uh, yeah, they'll they'll wait. And I think the other jet, the other cards will be like forty percent uplifts instead of like this gen. They were like twenty percent because they just decided to not give people more performance. But that's going to allow Blackwell to look like a huge performance exactly. uplift. That's that's the same thing on the NVIDIA on the AMD side. Sorry, uh, if we go for example for the seventy nine hundred XTX. Um, in terms of 4K performance, you do have, let's say, 40%, 40-45% uplift from the 6950 XT. I've tested it myself. I, I saw at least on the games that I tested, it's around 40-45% mm-hmm. at 4K. Once again, as soon as you go to 1440p, you have like 30%. Um, and people are like, okay, I can get, once again, the 7800 XT is really close to the 6950 XT mm. in some games, especially on the newer games in terms of performance. If you overclock the 7800 XT, overclock versus overclock. For example, on the most recent hardware unboxed video, mm-hmm. they, where they actually tested the 4070 Super, they had the benchmarks with the 6950 XT and the 7800 XT. Mm-hmm. And I, I let a comment there saying that just people be aware that if you compare the 7800 XT overclock versus overclock, the 7800 XT is really close to the 6950 XT in most titles, uh, in most recent titles, because the 6950 XT is a car that is already topped in terms of overclocking. Mm-hmm. As soon as you go to the 7800 XT, it's just you getting into that software and bam, power slider to the max. Because it comes with AMD graphics cards too. You don't need to download exactly. anything. Exactly. I mean, it's just... The, the performance increases. I mean, for example, one game that really benefits from overclocking is Hogwarts Legacy. In that mm. specific game, you have like 20, over 20% performance increase just from overclocking the 7800 XT. Something that you don't see every day nowadays, especially in terms no, of No, it's, it's very rare. And I saw, well, th- you know, I, I got a 7900 XTX for my brother, Dan. Um, you know, I got it first for me for testing and then I gave it to him and I told, I, I like overclocked it. Well, not even overclocked it. I mean, like undervolted it and just set a higher power limit really. Um, and I saw some games that were like way, way, way higher performance. And then I sent Dan the settings to, you know, import in, uh, Wattman and he said, and I'm like, Dan, so do you notice the difference? And he goes, this feels like a different card. It's like 20% better in battlefield and using less energy. Like because exactly. it's a capped frame rate. So yeah, if you if you get Navi thirty two or even thirty one, I think you you got to up the power limit and undervolt because it actually That's a must. it makes it get pretty close to Lovelace, actually. Um, you know, I will say this too. Here's a theory I have. I, I was think I actually thought of this for the first time, I think we'll just like sitting downstairs having a drink yesterday. I wonder if AMD called the seventy eight hundred XT 
the 7800 XT so that when they launch the 8800 XT, it looks good. I thought about that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait a second. Because they, I know they're going to want to charge around $500 for the 8800 XT, but I, they would have to have called it the 8700 XT if they called the 7800 XT, the 7700 XT. I know it's like a 2%, like 5% performance boost over the 6800 XT at stock. But I wonder if they did that because they're like, it's going to sell well at $500 anyways. And we know the 8800 XT is going to be like 50% faster. So then we can call it that. Yeah, exactly. That's that. That might be the the marketing scheme as well. They are like kind of lowballing the 7800 XT. So the um, the 8800 XT seems like a, a completely different breed. I think both companies are doing that this generation too. I think both companies are like naming their cards a 4080 for 1200, yeah. then dropping it to a thousand. I think they're planning ahead because they want the 80 to be a thousand dollars forever, and they're trying to make this the generation. Which let's be fair, this is a generation launching after a mining bust and yet yeah. AI and that's, shortages. And that's this why is the, the time to manipulate. That's why the it. prices exactly. That's why the prices are what they are. All right. One of the last subjects I want to start talking about, though, uh, is sent in actually by Quick Jumper. Yes. I think in 2023, we almost returned to the good old times when GPUs were getting cheaper. And NVIDIA and AMD have to be careful not to overprice their graphics cards. What do you think about 2024? With RDNA 4 and Blackwell coming at the end of the year, do you think the same trend will continue? Will AMD and NVIDIA have to be more aggressive in their features and pricing from the start? Or do they have some room to speculate on what consumers will accept yet again? Also, do you think NVIDIA is confident in launching a 5090 at 1600 or will they consider higher or lower prices? Oh, I, I think almost no chance the 5090 is cheaper than 1600 especially if AMD doesn't compete above $1,000. I think, if anything, they'll, especially if it's, especially if it's at least 50% faster, I'd say, so this is me guessing. Don't kill me, people. Guess is 1800 My guess is they'll go to $1,800. Um, unless- $1,799. Yeah, because I I think nineteen ninety nine will will it'll back I think seventeen ninety nine fifty percent faster is probably what they're going to aim to do. If they do push it to the limit from the start though, and it's like seventy percent faster, I think they'll for sure go to two thousand then. Um, but anyways, though, I, I'm wondering what you think about GPU pricing moving forward because I do think this generation is caught, especially Nvidia and well, and also AMD with the nine hundred dollars seventy nine hundred XT off guard and realizing that they can't charge whatever they want anymore. I believe that it all comes to what, to what they think internally, of course, because they will definitely, they'll definitely try to play the, um, the let's see game. Mm -hmm. Let's see how much they are willing to pay. Let's see what we can do with this. Let's see how much profit we can get from, we can get from this. Um, and that's going to happen. That's for sure. Because that's companies are made to make profit. They are not mm-hmm. there to, uh, to give something to the users. But, uh, I do believe that if AMD is definitely going on the, on the mid tier, they will definitely play the, um, the pricing wars. Definitely. And that will make Nvidia for, uh, that will make Nvidia to be forced to go down in terms of prices, at least on the mid-tier and, and maybe mid-tier and like mid-high tier, like let's say something like the RTX 580, 
580, sorry, the RTX 5080, uh, something like that, they will, well, they will kind of constrain themselves and they will not increase the price as much. But definitely the, the 5090, pff, it will be the fastest card available. It will definitely be a boom in terms of pricing. Definitely. Yeah, I, if I already guess, it's all the more reason to not launch the rest of the series at first. Like launch the 5090, again, let's say it's 50% faster than the 4090. They launch it for 1800 so they can keep selling the 4090 for like 1400 or something to get rid of it too, by the way. And then they just wait and see. And they're like, if the 5090 sells out at that price, then we know that all we have to do with the rest of our lineup is maybe charge 10% more and make it 50% <laughs> faster. By the way, you know, that is what they did with Pascal, a generation everybody likes. They raised prices basically across the board, but it was at least 50% faster for most of the tiers. So yes. people but accepted I, it. But they was they were actually able to to do that because of of how, for example, the 970 was on par with the 390X and was consuming like half the power. Mm -hmm. uh, and people were like, well, that's it. that's an insane deal. It's an insane deal. So why should exactly. I get the, the, so the they 390? Yeah. yeah, I believe that that's what most elitists will do with a, with a 5090. Mm -hmm. They they were like they will be like okay I don't care about the pricing two hundred bucks more three hundred bucks I don't care it's fifty percent more performance I'll buy it as for the rest of the people well they will remain mostly like we were talking about before they will remain mostly with AMD they will get the RDNA four mid to low tier um, and the rest will be Nvidia if that's gonna happen that that will be the case Nvidia will increase the prices but just slightly on the mid-tier and they'll just boom the, the prices on the, um, on the high tier. Once again, f maybe 5080, 5090, something, something like that. But yeah, so let me see here. Like, it, let, let's assume NVIDIA does this. I'm actually like writing this out right now. So that would be plus 50%. So that puts you 4090. And then let's do 600. Uh, that would be that plus 50%. So yeah, you're looking at, I mean, it's funny how much this is actually working <laughs> out. Like, so yeah, let's say NVIDIA's plan is to launch the 5090 for $1,800 and it's 50% faster than the 4090 and then it sells well. And then they just use that as the blueprint for the rest of the generation. That would mean a $1,200 5080 that is 20% faster than a 4090. That mean an eight hundred dollar fifty seventy Ti. That is the pr performance of a forty ninety, and that would mean a six hundred dollar fifty seventy. That is the performance of a forty eighty super, which would probably put it perfectly in line with a five hundred dollar uh, eighty eight hundred XT. That is the performance of a seventy nine hundred XTX. That would actually perfectly line up with what I would expect out of RDNA four as well. I believe so, that would be the case. So on the one hand, it's kind of depressing because it's like, I think they're going to, if they have something 20% stronger than a 4090 for $1,200, I think people will buy it. You know, I, I think they just will. At the same time, though, that means now the 50, the 80 is always going to be $1,200. You know, they've succeeded there. But, you know, as long as it's better, at least it's an improvement. I've kind of given up on arguing about that too much. I guess it would be interesting to see if people still reject it at that price because it just costs too much, but I suspect they won't. Or I wonder what you think. 
<laughs> I mean, it's hard to it's hard to know because till some till let's say three years ago, I personally wouldn't expect people to to go along with these prices. Mm-hmm. And yet we see people buying these cards every single damn day. And I mean, I thought because I'm I'm of a certain age, I'm not that old, but I, I'm not 20 years old as well. Um, I thought that the, the normal scaling of the prices or the normal scaling of prices and performance in between generations would be okay. This is the 4070 and costs 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now I do need absolutely to get the, let's say, the 5060. And it has to be at least on the, at least on the 4070 level and costing way less, mm-hmm. let's say 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see that or going from, from NPR to other Lovelace. Mm-hmm. Because, and the same for, for, for RDNA 2 and RDNA 3. Besides the top tier, the mid-tier cards are like 20-30% at most, and they are costing more than the previous generation. Mm-hmm. And that makes no sense. For me, it's, com- it's common sense that the, the, the newest generation needs to perform better or equal at the lower price point. Yeah, I mean, the excuse I've always heard for Lovelace is it costs a lot more to make. And I think that is true. But I think even if that is true, well, then you should have designed something cheaper. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what do I have to do with that? I mean, it doesn't matter why it's like that. I just don't want exactly. it to cost that much. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's your fault. Do it better. Um, well, Compressed Earthblocks writes in yet again, noticing he's got like 10 questions in this oh. episode. And he says, guys, where do you think ARC will stack up in a best case and worst case scenario if we get Battle Mage this year? We've gotten quite a bit of improvements for Alchemist, but it's still relatively underwhelming. Do you think this will continue with Battle Mage or will Intel try to fix Alchemist's shortcomings? So I guess that I'm just throwing in this question near the end here to say, do you think Alchemist, or should I say, do you think Battle Mage is going to help at all? In this situation, I believe it will, because Intel does, does need to, to play the, um, the price wars. They do, mm-hmm. because imagine if uh, we have RDNA 5, RDNA 4, sorry, RDNA 4 on the mid-tier only, not top tier. Uh, I believe that with the improvements that we're seeing in terms of architecture and so on, I do believe that Battle Mage will be much, much better. Intel learned. Of course, their driver's team is already working on Battle Mage, f- according to what, um, to what they said on CES. Yeah, I don't trust what Intel says about their graphics too much, personally. Well, but I, I, they, they had, they'll have something they call Battle Mage coming out, but I guess, let me skip ahead here and make it clear kind of what I'm thinking. Like, um... You've seen a lot of people speculate about what it will be. You know, I said a couple of years ago, Battle Mage isn't going to be a high-end card. And no, no, definitely. I, definitely I, not. I, yeah, well, some people thought it would. But um, what I've seen based on the specs, um, I think the best it could be is twice as fast as an A770. And I, I don't think that's... That would be if they double performance, basically, per compute unit, which... Who doubles performance per compute unit in a generation? But if I even if you double performance of the A770 or even slightly below that, you're you're getting more to like 4070 Ti performance, 
which think about that, that would be 30% weaker than the 8800 XT, which would put, I'm, I'm continuing my chart I wrote out here. If $500 <laughs> was this 8800 XT, wouldn't that perfectly translate to like 350 for the B770? I mean, that, that's unfortunate. That's where we're getting to here. That's of course, if you are, if you are aiming for the same compute units or as they call them, I don't really remember. Execution XE, units. XE, XE, exactly. XE units. Uh, so if, and if they, they succeed, that's like a, I think exactly that's, if that's they a succeed. good outcome. Like if they were able to do that. A big geez. if. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even if, I mean, I, I believe that's not hard, though, because um, I do believe that most of the problems that we see with Alchemist are actually hardware-sided. Software mm -hmm. has to improve a lot, but in terms of, uh, of architecture efficiency, Alchemist is not that great. No, it has uh, a lot of wonky quirks to its performance. Exactly. And that's, and that's what they will mostly fix. I believe that they will mostly fix that with, with Battle Mage. They will improve the drivers specifically for Battle Mage. And if they can do that and maybe, maybe increase the numbers of execution units, um, it will can, it, it can be over twice as fast if, but once again, these are big ifs. Um, mm -hmm. because the, the A770 right now, as we speak, is still underperforming. Mm -hmm. Still underperforming, and yeah. it performs much better. I have one better. behind me. I just tested it again with the latest drivers. That yeah, are that's exactly much better. That's exactly the one I have right there as well. Mm -hmm. The A seven hundred and seventy. And and there are times where it performs almost like a thirty seventy, but there are times where it performs like a thirty fifty in some games, and it's just crazy how all over the place it is. If you want to know what I believe is that Intel will will kind of will kind of try and take the crown in terms of ray tracing performance in the mid-tier. Mm. I believe that's what they're going to do. They already have a very good ray tracing performance for the architecture that they, that they have right now. If they actually manage to increase the, um, the performance in ray tracing as they increase in raster, let's say, over double, mm -hmm. it would put, let's say, the B770 in a very, very good position in terms of ray tracing performance. And maybe they are trying to say, okay, we don't have the fastest card. We don't have the best card or the best features. But if you're looking for ray tracing performance in the mid-tier, we are, we have the cards that, that you want to get. These mm -hmm. are the cards, the B770 and the B750. Yeah, I'm actually working on a video trying to recap what I can learn about Battle Mage again. And I'm, I guess, spoiler alert, I'm going to try to be positive about it this time <laughs> because, and, and actually a point I want to make is I think people are getting too obsessed with whether or not something's coming out. And it's like, guys, Raj is gone. Ryan's gone. They killed AXG. Literally AXG was gone for a few months. I think we need to, from my perspective, whatever Raj, Raj said we were going to get enthusiast graphics cards in 2023. That never happened. So I think from my perspective, I mean, it's Raj was at the AMD and he did what he did. He kind of pushed Vega. Uh, I don't really know why. They just pushed, they just kept pushing Vega. Vega Way harder than it really deserved to be. Exactly. I, mean, I, I, I think I, uh, the point I'm, I'm considering making in a video soon is like, guys, Raj is gone. They didn't release any Alchemist Plus. They didn't release an enthusiast card last year. Can we agree that what they planned to launch clearly never happened? And let's move on. 
And just maybe then we can, because right now I see all of the arguments either being either Intel's completely dead or somehow they're going to launch a 5090 competitor next year. And I don't think either are happening. And so if we just, if we get rid of the baggage, maybe we can start looking at this with fresh eyes. And once I start doing that, I start thinking, I really would like them actually to put a decision battle mage and laptop because no one is putting Radeon graphics cards and laptops and laptops are so expensive now to get an NVIDIA graphics card. But that's why AMD is actually releasing the APUs. They they know, they know that they are not selling the, the Radeon graphics. So APUs are the way. But that's what I hope is if AMD goes to APUs, hopefully Intel can launch something they can sell for cheap with their CPUs. So that NVIDIA can't charge $4,000 for a 4090 laptop. That's really an underclocked 4080. And so that's kind of like what I'm thinking of saying in a video soon is like, I think that's what we should really be hoping for. Because I I think that would actually help. It's just gotten so out of control laptop pricing, in my opinion. And that's exactly why, because uh, when you have just just one company ruling all, all the market, just simply doesn't work for the consumer um, because the prices will just keep going up and up and up because that's what companies are made for. They're just there to, well, to make profits. So they will try and push the boundaries of how much anyone is able or willing to pay uh, till they get the, um, well, till they get that little note that they had with a 4070 Super, which is, okay, we're not selling well. What can we do? Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they do. They push it to the maximum they can. Um, having Intel in terms of of laptop, well, they do have to. They do have some rough edges, really some rough edges in terms of drivers. But if they can iron those out, I believe that, well, there will be an option definitely. And again, I I think people talk about having more options is always helpful. I don't know if it's been helpful on desktop to have a more inefficient 7,600 cost more than the seven. Like it's like, but in laptop, we literally don't even have options. So that is a case where I think only more could help. Um, all right. So I, I, I kind of a final question here. Um, Christian Visconti writes in, he says, hi, Tom, ciao, Fabio, skipping the hardware side and focusing in the software, only FSR, DLSS, ULMB, AFMF, XS frame gen examples, et cetera, et cetera. Which company do you put more faith into in the future, creating new technology, innovating existing systems, and finding new uses of this tech to use it besides just in games? What are your thoughts? What can we do with AI acceleration that is useful for humanity? Well, let's just skip to the earlier question, because I think an interesting question to close on is out of Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD, who do you think is going to innovate on software the most in the next few years and also innovate in ways that's useful not just for gaming well it's hard to get to a point because amd usually on these years they they've been late to the party Mm -hmm. they've just been copying everything nvidia does but at the same time, they've been doing some really good things uh, on the software, but more hardware side. For example, if you look at Resizable Bar, who brought Resizable Bar? It wasn't mm-hmm. NVIDIA. People don't even know that. That's true. That you do have to give that to AMD. Yeah. AMD brought Resizable Bar and they said, why are we making calls of only 250 megabytes? 
if games are having bigger and bigger chunks of, of, of textures and so on. So let's do something. Let's bring smart access memory. That was crazy. Now they're bringing something new as well. They are once again late to the party because they take ages. They are, they are taking ages, which is smart access video, mm -hmm. which will allow you to, it's kind of a, a, a multi-render of CPU and GPU at the same time in several scenarios. And even in terms of video playback, you can use both more efficiently. It's a thing that, uh, that they have been waiting to release for quite some time, maybe like a year mm -hmm. yet, and it's still not there, uh, but it will come. Uh, and they'll have some things on that side, but in terms of AI, uh, they are just going in right now. They even some days ago uh, hired someone that was, uh, I believe I saw that news. It was like something that was head of some AI department in mm -hmm. some AI uh, company and they hired that person. So they are going into it right now, but I believe that in the next years in terms of AI, AI NVIDIA will still be ahead because they are much more prepared. They are already into the thing, so it's much easier for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess my answer would be in terms of AI hardware, it's hard for me to bet either way because um, I could see AMD coming up with some really good hardware if you're willing to write the software yourself at a giant company like Amazon. In terms of software, I can never say long-term which one I think for sure will do the most because... I don't know, you know, and it depends how you count it. I think short term NVIDIA's got some tricks up their sleeve with DLSS4 with Blackwell. That's my suspicion is they got some pretty big tricks up their sleeve uh, next year for their next generation. But at the same time, you really did remind me. I actually almost like I, of course, know smart access memory, but I forgot that not enough people bring up that they were the ones who added this simple thing uh, first and they were. You know, exactly. and it's essential to Alchemist. Intel can claim that it was designed with that in mind. It wasn't. I think that kind of <laughs> saved Alchemist performance, actually, luckily for them. Well, saved it, like made it so it wasn't completely bad. Um, and I guess I can't discount how many software improvements AMD may discover integrating their CPUs with their GPUs and APUs and realizing oh, this thing we did on Strix Halo, this saved us a bunch of latency. We could also apply this to the PCIe bus or something. I suppose, I suppose I think we shouldn't discount that there's probably more smart access memory-like things that AMD's probably going to discover as they keep focusing on APUs. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that they will bring more things because I always saw AMD as a, an hardware company that makes so software, let's say that. Uh, while NVIDIA is like a software company that makes hardware. Mm -hmm. It's it's the opposite. Both That's companies definitely like what NVIDIA wants to be, or at least a couple of people I spoke to moving forward, is they think Moore's Law is, def is not, they think it's deader than dead, and they want to, their focus moving forward will be better and better software with their upcoming graphics card launches. But I think it'll, it'll all come down to if AMD can at least make their software good enough so that their hardware is, because their hardware isn't really that far behind NVIDIA, but like they can make their software good enough so that NVIDIA can't go mad with pricing <laughs> with exactly. their better software. And, and I mean, if we think about it, let's say 20 years ago, um, not like 30 years ago, 30 years ago, it was the, um, it was the hardware that was, that was catching up with the software. And now mm. it's always the opposite. 
Always, yeah. it's the software that's catching up with the hardware. And I remember, I remember having like, let's say, a software that was already supporting like four, six, eight cores, and oh, hardware yeah. was was only using like two cores. The normal yeah. hardware was only using two cores, and the software was already prepared to use eight cores. Now mm. it's exactly the opposite. We have hardware that is extremely, extremely well done, but then the software just can't can't uh, go up with it. Just can't live up to the to the hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's one thing we can maybe hope AI helps with is the amount of time it takes to program new software for these pieces of hardware. Hopefully AI can help write that code faster so that we actually have things launching. Uh, I mean, a crazy example, by the way, is I remember after RDNA 3 came out, there was this big driver update for performance, but it actually boosted RDNA 2 ray tracing by like 20 or 30% after RDNA 3 came out. And it was, it was just uh, like, oh man, they weren't that far behind. It was the 20, 22 or 23, but it was like the 7.1 version of the drivers. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it improved definitely the, the ray tracing performance in most scenarios, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because they... No, go it's on. The, it's the pipelines because since they have the computer units uh, working as, well, they don't have the retracing accelerators. So the way they program the workflow, let's say that, uh, it will really affect the, the retracing performance. Mm-hmm. And I believe that they found something that was not correct there and it improves out of the blue the performance. And so then that makes you wonder like, did they have that for like, for example, PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X games? Like, are there games that had a ray tracing mode when the Series X came out and it was forced to run 4K 30? Had they had this driver, could have been 4K 40 or something? I, I don't know. You know, Maybe. like, and it, it just makes you wonder, like, too, like, how many of these cards, like, half of the strength is, can they just maximize them when they launch? Um, all right, well, that's all the subjects that I think I wanted to get to for the most part with you um unless there's anything else you wanted to discuss i believe that that's mostly it uh that's how the market is ruling now not not much really more to say apart from the the super lineup the well the possible rdna4 i believe i just wanted to talk a bit about rdna5 uh because we're talking about that before and i believe i believe that rdna5 will bring ray tracing accelerators um, I'm not sure. I'm I, right. So what I'm hearing recently is that RDNA four will have better ray tracing performance than RDNA three, relatively it has, speaking. It has to have. It has to. But I think it will be a better increase than three was over two per compute unit, which was, in my opinion, very lackluster. I expected more out of RDNA 3's ray tracing. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like this thing that they like double it. I think it'll be a lot better. But not as good. I from I think from what I've heard is RDNA five is the one that goes for it, and intentionally it's RDNA five for several reasons. Number one, RDNA five is probably closer to what the next gen consoles will use, and they'll have a focus on ray tracing. So that's a, a reason to finally focus on it there. Number True. two is Nvidia uses a decent amount of their die space for ray tracing performance. So as long as AMD can have a smaller die with the same raster, they can sell it for less money. And right now, AMD has to sell their cards for less money. So until ray tracing is used, and even it's not even used in half of the games still. Like until ray tracing is exactly. even something you can use in half the games, it is a cost 
deficit for AMD to make it too strong because it would take up more die space and then they would have to sell their cards for the same price as NVIDIA, which they know won't work. So I think RDNA 5, which, what, yeah, that would launch like 2026? Yeah, 2026. No, wait, 2025 to 2026, somewhere in maybe 2025, very end of the year. That's going to be right about the year where they expect ray tracing to be in most games. The new consoles will be on the horizon. And that is when they'll go for it, when it's cost effective. I think so. I think RDNA 5 is what I'm hearing, probably, where they finally make a real try at it. Exactly. But for for example, now that we're talking about the RDNA 3 um, ray tracing performance, it is interesting to, to note that, once again, I believe that the ray tracing performance in RDNA 3 is lackluster because of driver optimization. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that right away, because if we're looking at Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition, I tested those cards myself, and I actually have the video uh, opened here. Um, and in terms, I'll just tell you, for example, in terms of 1080p, um, 1080p um, maximum settings, everything set set to ray tracing, everything maximum. What do we have, for example, with the 7700 XT? Of course, it has more compute units, 12 compute units more than the 6700 XT, but we have a difference of 59%. Mm. 59%. So going from uh, 69 FPS average to 110 uh, FPS average on the 7700 XT in Metro mm-hmm. Exodus Enhanced Edition. Even comparing to the 6800 that has uh, more computer units, it has eight more computer units. It's 52 versus 60. We have a difference of, let me just see, we have a difference of 25%. So, the 7700 XT with less compute units is still 25% faster in Metro Exodus mm-hmm. uh, than the 6800 non-XT. So they did improve it considerably in some scenarios because all cards or almost all cards from the RDNA 3 architecture have more compute units than the previous uh, generation take off the, um, the 7800 mm-hmm. XT. Uh, so it's, I believe that due to this, it's more like kind of driver performance optimizations that they need to do because in Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition, I mean, the performance difference is just crazy. RDNA 3 just performs much better. And much I better. do want, I would point this out too, to support your argument even further. RDNA 2 excels at 1080p. Like 1080p is where RDNA 2 is just, I mean, I, I always said this, if you were considering RDNA 2 or Ampere, if you're below 4K, RDNA 2, because it just crushes Ampere at lower resolutions. Definitely. And even RDNA 3, RDNA 2 is still usually, relatively speaking, a 1080p monster. The fact that it's winning by that much with less compute units in 1080p actually is an, an even bigger indication that it is the ray tracing making it outperform it. Exactly, and you don't see that in other games usually. Um, that's what makes me think that uh, the issue is actually with uh, with optimization, because even at 1440p, the 7700 XT is 23% faster than the 6800. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition, I find, is like an incredibly well-programmed game. Um, actually, you might find this interesting. Brian Heemskirk, so, uh, I think it was him. Uh, or it was either him or the developer from Infinity Ward. When that person was on, they pointed out that the reason Exodus probably runs so well is they had to rewrite the code. 
Like <laughs> exactly. so the fact that they had to start over means that it works better. It has yeah, less bugs. And, they, and, and, and I mean, ray tracing will only get really relevant when games start being produced only for ray tracing. That's mm-hmm. when the optimizations will definitely matter because as soon as you have a, a rasterized game, a baked game, and then you just put ray tracing here, put ray tracing there, even the game engine is not ready for that, let's, mm-hmm. let's say. So as soon as you build a game with that in mind, it's only for ray tracing. It will be ray tracing all the time, and that's how it works. And that's, for example, why Avatar Frontiers of Pandora uh, has at least two or three options always with ray tracing enabled. And even if you don't have hardware ray tracing accelerators, it will just fall down to software. It will use Lumen, for example, or something close to Lumen. And the same happens to Alan Wake. You're not using path tracing or ray tracing, but you're using something like Lumen. They have their own naming because they use Northlight engine, but it's the same. So games are now finally, the newer mm-hmm. ones are bringing uh, at least some kind of ray tracing as the rasterized, let's call it that, as the rasterized performance. But at the same time, it isn't raster because raster is like baked, uh, baked textures and shadows on and everything. Right. More like that. So... <laughs> And we're seeing now games like this, and when games start being fully developed with ray tracing in mind, like we saw Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition, where they completely redesigned everything, uh, I actually saw the game that the, the video that they made uh, where they showed how they were doing things with ray tracing now in terms of programming, the light sets, the differences in between the baked lighting and the ray tracing one, and they completely made an overall of the game. And that's why they, it performs so, so, so good, I believe. Um, yeah, and you know, I guess my final bets for that too, what happens with ray tracing is, from what I've heard talking to some people, Lovelace actually has some ray tracing stuff in there that's like <clears throat> probably actually very, very, very underutilized right now. I think long-term, if you were to really optimize it hard, and turn up the settings, Lovelace is always going to have a pretty massive ray tracing advantage, actually, versus RDNA 3. But that's if you optimize it and if it's cranked up a lot. And I think short-term, what you'll see is low levels. uh, It goes the other way. RDNA 2 and especially 3 are very, very, very underutilized, though, if there's low levels of ray tracing. If you actually optimize it, it was built to not really lose much performance. So I think what we'll see is, yeah, long-term, Obviously, Lovelace will keep its ray tracing lead, but usually only if it's like pushed hard and RDNA 3 is still underutilized. It's possible they both are, by the way, too. And don't discount that like when AMD goes for it, they can do it. I think that's the one thing people are missing here is that AMD is choosing to have smaller dies. They are choosing to have less ray tracing um, die space. And now they have the money for it. When they have the money to go for it, the second they had the money to go for it, RDNA 2 matched the 3090. So don't assume they can't do it. It is a choice, you know. Yeah, it's a marketing position. They will be they will be choosing to not making that or this because it does not suit them. Um all right, yeah, that's a really good point though. But um all right. I will now close out the episode, though, and I really want to thank you for coming on the channel. Um, Please plug yourself. Tell people where they can find you and anywhere and everywhere. 
basically, well, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, although I'm not really active there, but mostly on YouTube and Twitter or now the X. Uh, you'll find me there. And once again, Tom, thank you very much for, for inviting me here. It's a, it's a pleasure and a honor. Oh, thank you. Well, your <laughs> links will be in the description as well. Once again, that's Ancient Gameplays. And then, of course, I will also pimp myself out. Please subscribe to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Tell your friends about us. Comment below. Support our sponsors if you want any of their products. And like us um, and like our videos. And additionally, consider joining the Patreon. $2 gets you access to asking guest questions, exclusive content, die shrink. Uh, one just came out looking at the Sony Insomniac hack. We have one about Intel's future of fabs we have another die shrink coming out yeah the week this comes out uh always ad free and then there's other content out there as well um and just yeah once again thank you for watching thank you for listening and have a good week thank everybody. You as well this podcast was brought to you by the youtube channel and website moore's law is dead moore's law is dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator tom that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and Jean-Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong, we love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey, 
If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, E. Chitz, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jen Renner, Daniel High, G Z Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Deke, Nicholas Buckner, SNAS Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Falcom Alev, Jensen Wang, Hardforum.com, Gregory S. Acker, Andrew S. Sarcastro, Evan Dangle, Chris Rich, Compressed Earthblocks, 3DS Boy08, Halbuma, Greg Wanchek, Chris Shredbert, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Holden Mobley, Blake, Franco Frederick, Sammy Malas, Jake Dude23, Jake Martin, Jordan Simkovic, Slicky, Lillian Leaked, The Boss Haas, Stefan Hart, Meat and Pork, Tim Rod, Ian Clifford, Travis. Gooding, Stefan, Toka, Mad, Zoot Suit Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Crow, Amiable Chief, Chrysantine, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, I should, Mark Raidmaker, The Eternal Dreamers, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Johnson N, Neithra Zink, Cameron, Wesley Sazer, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Hexapuma, Reginald R, Teak Autumn, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Loophole 35, JSMMH, Windstar, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Jamie Witters, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, McDaffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glennon, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Joe Foot, Hardland, Earth Taurus, Slushbot, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Hemsagung, Tails2299, Mie Valverga, John Sifos, Dale Russell, The Forbidden Juice, Per Leaksman, Win Wang, RB Racer, AC, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Matt, Alex Vega, Free D, Brian Wright, John Swint, Angel of Cake, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarized Eddie, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, Penta Winta, Rowan McKicky, Corn Stir 671, Sprutnik, Jeffrey, Lenneman, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.